and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine today to look at all things WCW in March 1999 for episode number 201. And joining me today, we have Dan Welling. Dan, hello. Hello, guys. And a warm welcome back to Mr. Pete Kimber. Hello, guys. Good to be back. Great to have you back, Pete. Right then, everybody. So, first off, quick bit of housekeeping. Our All Singing, All Dancing episode 200, where we look at WrestleMania 15, is our volume one. Volume three, episode number 202, for those keeping score, ECW Living Dangerously 99. So, what we're going to do today, for those of you who are new to the show, we're going to take a slightly different tack over the next two hours or so. You might well have got accustomed in the last year particularly to a few more post-production bells and whistles, a few more sound clips, a few more interview clips. But today we are going back to where the Wrestling 20 Years Ago, the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast began in August 1993. We're just going to be us talking for a lot of the time. Paying tribute to the man, Mr. Bob Bamba, who is probably not even going to listen to this show. But he started all this with his, you know, his string and his two tin cans five and a half years ago. And now, from, from, from humble beginnings, our millions of listeners, it says here, can now enjoy the show as it was first intended, before it went from strength to strength. But having said that, we're still going to give you all the standard stuff, including the big pay-per-view review. And, as Pete Kimball will kick us off with now, the news headlines. Thank you, Rory. WCW is brought to you by the letter G. It is indeed. You might remember, whenever we've been talking about WCW, really, over the last few months... They've been getting a few taps on the shoulder on high about the nature of their pro- the nature of their programming, and the tap on the shoulder has become the proverbial ton of bricks. They are now a G-rated broadcast. They're not allowed to say the word ass, and rather problematically, given the main event of their pay-per-view, which we will talk about later, also not around are not allowed to say the word blood. Apparently, it was Scott. Steiner's actions on screen in February that's really caused standards and practices to say to Bischoff, more on him in a second, that it's time to start toning things down. Kevin Nash responded to the criticism of wrestling in general and defended wrestling's influence on kids. He said when he was a kid, he and his friends would tackle each other after watching an NFL game. So why complain now that kids are pretending to wrestle instead? He said parents should spend more time with kids and less time at work trying to earn enough to buy a luxury car. All right, for some, is it not, Kev? He said that Raw does take things too far and asks that people not confuse, and I quote, the subtlety of Nitro with the overtness of Raw. Whether this new direction for World Championship Wrestling works against what WWF are providing for us remains to be seen. That made me laugh. Um, uncut, uncooked, uncensored. <laughs> But they still have a pay-per-view called Uncensored every year. Yes, the fifth and fifth annual, bloody hell. Uncensored took place in the middle of this month, and it was, at least I thought, pretty much okay, really. Despite being headlined by Ric Flair becoming a 14-time, if you're keeping score at home, some might say 17, 14-time world champion by defeating Hulk Hogan in a steel cage match in which there was plenty of barbed wire around the roof of the cage. In a match, some of you might vaguely remember was known as a first blood match you know they couldn't mention the word on nitro first blood was first mentioned on the pay-per-view a match which ended in a pinfall because of course it did and it looked like sparking on what looks like whisper it a flair hogan double turn we'll talk about that and the rest of the card a bit later on creative has nothing for you eric bischoff yes eric bischoff uh, took a took a holiday or vacation 
to France at the beginning of this month after his daughter won some sort of competition, <laughs> or rather, no details given, no details wanted. He came back in the middle of March. It was said by a lot of WCW officials that he really should have stayed away for a bit longer. Didn't look well, took minimal interest in any of the creative backstage. And by the sounds of it, he's really quite happy with the way that Kevin Nash is ruining... Oh, sorry, I run along. Kevin Nash is running the company at this point. <laughs> so easy to get those two mixed up. <laughs> to the point where Bischoff only made one very small cameo appearance on TV this month, which we'll talk about way down the line. Kevin Sullivan is back in his own creative role, with Terry Taylor is now elsewhere, of course. But Bischoff, sources close to him saying he might even be close to jacking it all in. So watch this space on that one. Dick Flair hits back. Yes, if you are a regular listener to these programs, you will know that Shane Douglas does not like Ric Flair very much, to put it mildly. But of course, if you listen to the ECW show Volume 3, you will know that Shane Douglas could well be joining World Championship Wrestling in the not-too-distant future. So on this particular occasion, his nemesis, Mr. Flair, has hit back first. And I quote verbatim his thoughts on Mr. Douglas. Everything he's done in life, he's done behind the scenes, and he's cried about everything and everybody. If it's not me, it's Nash. If it's not Nash, it's Hall. If it's not Hall, it's McMahon. If it's not McMahon, it's Bischoff. At some point in time, you've got to look in the mirror. He goes on. I understand he challenged me to the ultimate fight or something like that. Let me tell you this. If you take the needle out of his ass, he's about 140 pounds at best. And you tell him, 90 days after he takes the needle out of his ass, anytime, anywhere, I'm 50 years old. And he signs off. As a matter of fact, my son Reed, with the needle out of his ass, will beat him in record time. And in sad news, Renegade dead at 33. Uh, yes, very sad news indeed. At the start of March, uh, Richard Wilson, who we know as Renegade and Renegade Warrior for a short spell in World Championship Wrestling, uh, committed suicide at his home in Atlanta, Georgia, aged just 33. He was actually released by WCW only the week before, and he had a major argument with his girlfriend too. And sadly, it was all too much for the poor guy. Uh, took a gun, went outside, and uh, turned it on himself. Um, if you remember, if you were listening to these shows during 1995, we had very little positive things to say about Renegade. And it's very easy when somebody passes away to turn around and you know, <laughs> look at the positives. And so you should in many ways. But with him in the ring, they weren't particularly there. But I just want to say this. He did not ask for that particular push. He did not ask to be the Ultimate Warrior clone and to be pushed to the moon miles ahead of any of his abilities. He went out there and he did his absolute best. And it's such a shame that the wrestling business has claimed such an other vic an claimed another victim at such a young, young age. So yes, R.I.P. Richard Wilson, Renegade, dead at the age of 33. So let's begin rolling you through the TV reports for Monday Night Show for March 1999. Again, no bells, no whistles, no beds. So if you just want to whistle along to the WCW Worldwide music while I read these out, you're quite welcome to do so. Da, 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 da. Everybody. Da, da. Anyway, the 1st of March, 99, Monday Nitro. Steiner and Bagwell start off the month for us in front of the Chapel Hill NC tobacco-chewing scumbag rednecks. And we won't get to see Diamond Dallas trash today. We will get to see them against Goldberg and Rick, though. The red and black are here and Lex bladders for a while. Larry accuses Lex of narcissism, which I hope isn't an accident. And then Nash calls out Ray as a form of apology for what happened last week. But he doesn't have a mobile phone. Hey, even I got one for Christmas last year. 
after no fewer than 20 minutes of dicking around, although that's nothing compared to what we get next week, we get our first match, Psychosis versus Kidman. Who wins? Kidman wins a superb outing with the Shooting Star Press. Arn lays down the law to David Flair backstage. You're going to throw your family away for this? This being his good lady, of course. She's using him just as much as the MWO are, but David puts it all down to jealousy. Hogan give, gives Vince permission to slap Stevie upside the head. Later on, the Wolfpack seems to be on his side, though. Bam Bam versus Ray is next, and much like last week, the little guy takes a beating for the entire match, but manages to sneak out a win, this time with a victory roll. Bam Bam seems to like losing that way, doesn't he? And of course, it means less than nothing as the Wolfpack beats him up backstage in any event. Then Bam Bam gets jumped backstage by Raven, and in turn, they get beaten up by, oh yes, Hack. Flynn and Cat knock each other down, so the winner will be the first one up. We actually talked about that on our WWF show last month, if you remember. Ono takes down Jerry, so Miller secures the win. Disgracefully, he doesn't thank Mr. Chris White or Mr. Eric Landstrom, let alone me. Jericho attacks Saturn to allow Morris to beat him with low, no laughing matter. Brett versus Benoit. Oh, yeah. It gets plenty of excellence, and it sure takes that opportunity. Crummy finish, though, as Brett keeps the sharpshooter on as Benoit holds the rope, leading to a DQ. Hennig and Wyndham then do a number on Benoit and Malenko. The NWO are out, Hogan getting to ramble for an age, or seven. The gist is that he is the man, as it always is. Flair owes it to the fans to come out here and announce his retirement. Vince and Stevie, though, start to rumble, as stirred by Nash. They all clear off, then Flair does emerge. He doesn't know why David Flair joined the NWO either, but he does know about the blonde he met 20 years ago in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'll bet. Bischoff is now in Flair's pocket and is no longer a problem, so Flair makes a title match with Hogan at Uncensored in a cage with no doors but surrounded by barbed wire. He's not challenging him, he's telling him. We do indeed finish up with Goldberg and Rick versus Bagwell and Scott. The faces win when Rick knocks down Bagwell for the pin. So, we move on to the 8th of March edition of Monday Nitro. Now, at this point, I would begin by telling you what happened in the first or second match. However, Dan, you can begin on this one. We don't actually get any match at all until the start of the second hour. In a moment, I will run through exactly what they did give us for the first hour. But say, there was no wrestling whatsoever. Apparently, this is indeed Kevin Nash's doing because he wants to cut back on in-ring action. <laughs> I wonder why, for the sake of backstage skits. But Dan, even way, the way the wrestling business is going at the moment, where we're getting used to short two, three-minute matches to move on to the next segment, no wrestling at all in the first hour of a wrestling show does not compute. You know, the, the third letter in your actual company name uh, really should give away what should be broadcast on your TV screens, right? Yep. <sighs> Just like... It, it, it's absolutely shambolic decision making. Like this hour that they have is unopposed; that they can put up whatever they want to try new things. But even I wouldn't have expected that they would decide to run no nothing that actually people want to tune into this this programming format to see. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And you'll get onto this later, but. I could, I would, I still disagree with it, but I would understand it if what they were producing was innovative, interesting, and new. But it really, really wasn't at all what they were producing. So it not only pissed off the work rate people, 
it not only pissed off the storyline people because nothing new was done, but it turned off everybody and it just made it seem like they just didn't care. Pete, a Nitro girl calling her dogs her babies. Ricky Rackman telling us he quite quite telling us he quite likes Domino's Pizza. Hogan and Nash meeting the mystery woman at a shooting range. Yeah. I mean, as Dan said, I mean, when you are a wrestling company and you have prime time show as Nitro is and always has been, and you are behind in the ratings war, if you even want to take part in it, why would you not put any wrestling in the first hour of your flagship show? It just makes, it's like having a, a game of football when all the players go out on the pitch and they stand still for an hour. I mean, the, the, the fans are going to go mental, aren't they? They're going to go crazy. What's happening? So that live crowd would have probably had some, I don't know, some dark matches or things going on there. But us at home are just like watching all these mundane, absolute bollock skits, basically, the whole time. And who gave Nash this idea? Where did he dream it up? What was he smoking? What's going on? It's mental. I don't understand it. And it's just someone should have, I don't know, halfway through it, just pulled the plug and just chucked two guys out there and, you know, get the credits rolling and let's get some wrestling going because that's what people want to see, don't they? We want to watch wrestling. We want storylines. But within that, let's have wrestling intertwined with storylines and skit, as you said at the start. Absolute madness. But actually not that surprising either, is it really? And Pete, you also, we were talking off air, you made the point that they're also not even bringing up the main Nitro titles until the second hour now throughout the month. Yeah, I kept watching the Nitros. It's weird, isn't it? This month, and it just appears that suddenly that Nitro intro just begins after uh, 25 minutes, half an hour. So what's happening? Was the first half an hour of the show not meant to be seen, or was it just like a bit of fluff, and then now we're going to begin the real show, everybody? But no, the fireworks go off, and what happened before? It's just very strange. All very bizarre indeed. I... Bob Bamba, yes, him again, famously said on these on these programmes many moons ago, TV's for your angles, pay-per-views for your wrestling. I get that argument, I suppose, but I mentioned it on the WWF show. You know, Nobody says, nobody who watches this stuff calls themselves a fan of sports entertainment. You don't say, I'm going to take out two hours, three hours on a Monday night to watch the sports entertainment show. You're going to watch the wrestling show. And yes, you know that, you, especially these days, it's going to be heavy, heavily slanted towards, it, towards the entertainment side of things. I've got no problem with that. Well aware of that. I'm sure everybody listening now in March 99 is patently aware of that, and so they should be. But to take up the entire first hour with not a single, big, not even a two-minute squash match with... You know, <laughs> Dan's favourite Norman Smiley. Not even anything like that at all. Just Smiley. Stupid... Smiley. Yes, all right. <laughs> I, I, was, I, was wait, I was waiting for that. Just going to a fucking shooting range and plan B for the seduction of David Flair and Hogan having to explain the joke that she's called Mrs. Robinson and all of that for 45 minutes. And you're doing it in Providence, Rhode Island as well, which is a bit of a WWF hotbed. Now, you've got a show there for a week. You've got a crowd who are probably by and large WWF fans. You're not going to win them over by having them stuck in the arena watching grainy black and white footage of the NWO for 45, 50 minutes. After an eight-minute Arn Anderson-Rick Flair interview, which aired in its entirety on the previous week's Thunder anyway. 
I just think Nash is going way too far with this one. And the problem is, as we said in the news, there's nobody really around to tell him what is right and what is wrong. So quickly, it's not going to take me very long. It is match time when we get to about one hour 30 through the show. And it's Raven versus Hack. Oh, great. They briefly hug before the toys come out of the pram. Bam Bam then joins in because why not? The pay-per-view is still only six days away. They fight, they fight, they fight, they fight. Jericho versus Liz Mark Jr. in a dog collar match. He wins with the Lion Tamer. Steiner beats Booker in a rather odd finish. The latter supposedly passes out in the recliner, but his hand doesn't drop for three, but it's still good enough for the ref, and the heels get the chair out afterwards. Jerry Flynn gets called, gets called by the cat backstage, gets clawed by the cat. I trampled over my big joke, getting clawed by the cat. Uh, it's WCW just killing me. Entertainment, everybody. Ray steals another victory against Norton this time, and I don't think that makes anybody look good. On a similar topic, poor old Brett is saddled with Van Hammer, a laughably obvious carry job, but at least the big lug kind of remembers to sell this time. So Nash and Hogan join us for the tag team main event. Flair and Goldberg are their opponents. Flair takes a lot of shortcuts in this one. Goldberg with the spear, but then here they come and do a beat down on everybody and we go up the air because that is what always happens. Dan, pay-per-view results. <laughs> <laughs> you want to breathe there, Roy? Uh, Billy Kidman defeated Mikey Whipwreck, the debuting Mikey Whipwreck, to retain his WCW Cruiserweight title. Stevie Ray defeated Vincent in a Harlem street fight for leadership of NWO Black and White. Kevin Nash defeated Rey Mysterio. Jerry Flynn defeated Ernest Miller and Sonny Ono in a handicap match. Hack defeated Bam Bam Bigelow and Raven in a Force Count Anywhere match. Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko defeated Kurt Hennig and Guy Windham to, to win the WCW World Tag Team titles. Harry Saturn defeated Chris Jericho in a dog collar match. Booker T defeated Scott Steiner to, to become the new world television champion. And Ric Flair defeated Hollywood Hulk Hogan in a barbed wire steel cage match to win his 14th world heavyweight title. Don't mention the blood. Peter, what did you think of Uncensored 99? Well, I, I think I messaged you earlier on in the month for Rory and said, actually, I thought it was okay. And I was almost stunned when I even watched it and thought <laughs> that. So, yeah, all things considered... And we are going to go through it. Yeah, it was good. I actually quite enjoyed it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting down. So, yeah, I, I, I quite enjoyed it. Steady, steady. I know, I know. I know. <laughs> I've not been drinking either. It's all right. Nosebleed, nosebleed. What do you reckon, Dan? <laughs> yeah, I, this is my third WCW show that I've reviewed. And I think I'm going to go above my highest score of two out of ten for this one. <laughs> there we go. Uh, skyscraping praise. Yeah, it was all right, really, wasn't it? It was very, very uneven. I mean, the one thing you can't really say about WCW pay-per-views is that they're inconsistent. No, first half good, second half less than good. This wasn't that. This was all over the shop. I wouldn't say the highs were particularly high, but they were steady enough to keep my interest at the very least and peak it in some certain situations. And whilst there were undoubted lows on this show, they were kept short enough where they didn't rankle with me in the way that World Championship Wrestling lows often do. The main event is the main event, and I'm sure we'll spend the lion's share of our time talking about that because there's so much to unpack. But yeah, tentative steps towards something quite good. So then, Uncensored 1999, let's take you all through it. Tony is here, and he welcomes us to the most dangerous and, oh yes, the most mind-boggling pay-per-view of the year. Uh, that's the way he said it. And now we got on to the first of nine power-packed matches. 
Oh, never change, Tony, never change. Mikey Whipwreck, indeed, making his debut on pay-per-view. And he's going for the Cruiserweight title against Kidman. Bit of a story behind that, I'll tell you in a while. No music at all for Mikey, let alone loser, but his hometown is at least still Buffalo. Bobby is straight in with the dad joke of Mikey Shipwreck. Heenan himself has been stranded on the rocks for a long, long time. Anyway, let's go. And here's Mike Tanay. Mikey Whipwreck has made a name for himself on the East Coast. I'll see what you did there. Standard fast start until Mikey tries to hook on a chancery. Kidman is out of that button. Eight out of ten head scissors does do the trick, and Kidman takes a breather. Misses and hip toss exchanges, then a drop kick sends Mikey outside. Back in with a nice high crossbody, scoring a two. Mikey then with a rolling high knee over the top rope. We'll call that one unorthodox, I think. And then a wheelbarrow slam into the guardrail. Lordy. Into the ring for a solid two. Snap met and a motor lock into a 180 roll. He draws a how about that from Tony with a guillotine leg drop over the buckles onto the apron. He is bringing it here. He really is. Desperation clothesline by Kidman buys a little time. Kicks in the corner and he's fired up, but then he gets powerbombed. Yes, really. Good near fall there too. Chin lock on, but Kidman uses the crowd to get out of it. Then a hard clothesline to the outside. Kidman with a top rope thirds press to the floor, which he just about made. We get back to the apron. Then Mikey next snaps Kidman back in with authority for another two. It goes for the Tully suplex, but Kidman spins out of it with a sort of DDT. But Whipwreck recovers to send Kidman to the Kidman to the floor off the apron. He, though, hits the rail going for a press of his own. Lots of back and forth here as Kidman is backdropped into the crowd and then Whipwreck misses a spinning cannonball. Drop toe hold into the steps gives him the advantage again and a Russian leg sweep gets a two. He jaws to the crowd, though, and gets rolled up for a close call. Snap suplex to recover for two. Kidman blocks a charge from the sit-out powerbomb, gets him a two, but then a backbreaker by Mikey. He goes up, but Kidman stops him. Whipwreck blocks a superplex and hits a diving clothesline for a very near four. Kidman strikes back with a pedigree, which Tony calls a face-first drop, for two. Back on top and Mikey executes a belly-to-back superplex, which Kidman takes face-first. Two on that one as well. Gordbuster for the same result. Billy with a face plant out of another powerbomb attempt, and now he goes for the shooting star press and is able to hit it for the one, two, three. Quite the opener here, I thought. Pete, what do you reckon? Well, the fact that your review there was quite a lengthy one with the amount of moves that were going on. Roy, Even by it? my standards. Even that... by your standards, yeah. <laughs> that That is, uh, for Mikey, I mean, I don't think we saw him again, did we, for the rest of the month? Is that correct? Certainly not on Nitro. I don't get that because I thought he was absolutely pretty much a standout here with Kim. And Kim, as we know, is already probably with Ray the best cruiserweight out there. But yeah. as you say, Mikey brought it from the bell to the end. And I think he put on a bit of a, um, uh, I'm trying to the word now. Um, if he was being like, uh, I can't think of the word, so I'm going to carry on and say something different. Showcase. <laughs> That's the word. <laughs> Putting himself in the shop window. How about that? There we go. Even better. There's two words I couldn't think of. <laughs> he put on an absolute showcase of all that he can bring and all that he can do in that ring. And I think him and Kidman just worked so well. It almost seemed like Mikey was like, oh, you've done that. I'll do this now then. Or you've done that. I'm going to try that then. And it literally just held for leather. Anything goes. Some mental moves out over the guardrail. All sorts going on. And it was, what, 15 minutes? But it felt like... Like half that, if that makes yeah, sense. Totally it was such such a quick pace, but it was really good. Um, you've got to say, match of the night for me, straight away, match one. I loved it. It was a great start indeed. What do you think, Dan? I thought it was bordering on excellent. This is 
really excellent uh, really good work match Kidman is as we know is just like probably in these last three months he's up there with one of the best workers in the world right now in terms of MVP yep. and there's a moment where he comes out there's a very distinct high-pitched pop that you know whenever he comes out to the ring and he gives this grin to smile and I just thought future world champ I honestly thought he could be a real star for this company in the next two or three years if they push him correctly, providing he's got the mic skills and the charisma, obviously. But this was the first time I thought he could really go somewhere above cruiserweight United States level. Um, and Whipwreck is good in the sense that he can bring something that's unique to this division in that he can brawl as well as he can fly. And that's something that he can bring an, a USP to for this division where you've got, you know, Psychosis and the park and all these guys who are very much luchadors and Whipwreck can now easily sauce in with them. Cause I thought he was, as, as Pete said, a really, really stand up performance in this pay-per-view. He probably would be the MVP of the entire pay-per-view for, you know, showing what the audience, you know, what he can bring to the table. So yeah, I thought this match took all the boxes for me brilliantly worked. Both guys came out better than what they came in with, Star. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was excellent. Glad we all agree. Top stuff. Couple of stories surrounding this match. This was indeed Mikey Whipwreck's debut. And when he turned up at the arena, Kevin Nash did not know who he was. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> also not knowing who he was, was Doug Dillinger, who thought he was an interloper and tried to escort him out of the arena. All true. Until somebody, we don't know who, thought, hey, that's Mikey Whipwreck. We actually signed him. He's on the WCW roster. And whoever this person was then got in Kevin Nash's ear. And he said that Mikey Whipwreck once pinned Steve Austin on ECW television, which is why they booked this match. So they could say that their, cruise, their lowly cruiserweight champion, Billy Kidman, pinned the guy who once pinned Steve Austin. Petty politics in the pro wrestling business? <laughs> Not a bit of it. So yes, that is why we had the ending to this match that we did. Yeah, I'm sure Austin was devastated when he heard about that one. Vince, oh, dear, oh dear, oh dear. Just shut down Titan Tower now. Get in the wrecking ball. How will they ever recover from this? But yes, and despite all that nonsense, great match. I think this might be the best I've ever seen Mikey Whipwreck compete. He got 15 minutes. It was it was an opportunity for him to show what he could do, and he took it. He was bringing moves here we very rarely see in North America, even some of the cruiserweight matches, stuff which, you know, so I called it unorthodox in some of the write-up there. Now, that was not a criticism. So if you thought, yes, I've got 15 minutes on a WCW pay-per-view, this is the first time anybody, the vast majority of the audience at least, will even have heard of me. Now, these are the moves I can do. If they're going to put me in the cruiserweight division, then I'm going to show that I belong here. And boy, did he ever do that. He bust out everything he could think of and possibly a couple more things beside. Cole Kidman just cannot put a foot wrong at the moment. Uh, he's loved by the women. He's loved by the kids. He's loved by the workright fans. World champ is a bit of a stretch, Dan. But uh, hey, who knows? Who knows? It'd be, it'd be... Never, I never said how long. <laughs> <laughs> he carries himself like one. He, he deserves you know, all the all the trinkets that come his way, because for the last six months, he has been on fire and shows no sign of going out any time yet. Yeah, but just a great match here. As, as we say, it's just such a 
such a welcome relief to see two workers get the time to work. It doesn't happen often enough, especially now where wrestling takes so much of a backseat. Here, 15 minutes on pay-per-view. If you didn't know who Mikey Whipwreck was before, you sure do now. And of course, we never hear of him again for the rest of the month, just in case you were in any doubt what this promotion was. Because if you did not check out this match, do everything you can to. You will unlearn everything you previously thought about Mikey Whipwreck and learn even a bit more than you already knew about Billy Kidman. Well played, guys. After the Lord Mayor show, it's the Harlem Street Fight between Stevie Ray and Vincent. And of course, this one gets the video packaged in black and white with portentous music treatments. Because it bloody does, doesn't it? Anyway, big boot by Stevie answers Vince's offensive assault. It was offensive, all right. But he gets leverage to the outside. They swap punches and kicks for a while until Verge gets punched into the crowd. They manage to find some empty seats. I wonder how hard that was. And rock there for a while, with Stevie getting pretty much everything. He then swipes Vincent all the way down the steps. But Vince then backdrops him back towards the ring. Fist drop off the ropes by Vincent. Hmm, I wonder who taught him that move. Scores a two, but he eats boot on the second try. We finally get a, it's uncensored, from Bobby. Then Vince executes the sting headbutt, of all things. Both men are down now, so here's Horace. He throws in the slapjack and tells the camera, I don't care who wins. At last, Horace, we agree on something. Vince takes it first, but Stevie blocks, uses it, then manages to get off his slapjack for the win and supposed leadership. This is definitely a case of too many chiefs, or if you prefer, three bold men fighting over a comb. Dan? Just to pick up on what you said there, Rory, Horace says, I don't care who wins. I'm the real leader. Yeah, I've got... Uh, I'll cut that for time. (laughs) And and, and sanity. Which means this feud's going to continue. You care more about this storyline than I I imagine most people do, Dan. I bet you can't wait for this. Horace versus Virgil. (laughs) It goes Uh, on everybody's sake. We'll talk about this feud for the ages in a second, but what about the in-ring action? What in-ring action? <laughs> Quite. It was all in the crowd. <laughs> yeah, true. It was, mainly, it was mainly in the crowd. The actual in-ring action itself was botched to hell. Like, Vin- like I know we joke, but Vincent is terrible in the ring. That that horrible headbutt spot was was torturous. Dire. And then the finish itself just looks so weak. Like for for Steve for Stevie Ray to have that finish, like considering how big of a man he is, like he has got such a good look, and he's got that finish. It's such a, you know, contradiction to what he should be. And you compare him to the other half of Harlem Heat, who's way further up the card. And yeah, it's easy to see why one guy's got such upward momentum, another guy is just languishing in the B team, effectively. It's not the NW black and white, it's still the B team. And the leader of the B team is not something to be proud of. Uh, it's the part I was born to play, baby. Peter, a slight step down from the opener. I was, I was just going to say the high of highs to one of the <laughs> lower lows. Yeah, um, what a way to bring the crowd back down to earth and uh, back to reality. Um, oh God, the NWO black and white. Who gives a toss about the whole who's a leader? I mean, I'm looking forward to a triple threat now. That's what I'm looking forward to. So get these three guys in the ring and. Uh, well, there we go. That's a main event waiting to happen on Thunder in about two weeks' time, isn't it? So, no, it was what I thought it would be and has been. And the storyline is just, you know, if we actually gave a crap about the NWO black and white, because nobody else really does, it might mean something. But, you know, Stevie 
he may have something. There is probably something there. He's a, as Dan says, a big guy. He's got there's something there, isn't there? There is some talent hiding in amongst all of it. But to be surrounded by Vince and, and God bless him, Horace. I mean, <laughs> where can you go with that? So at least he got the win, I suppose. But Horace still thinks he's the uh, the leader. So uh, on to the next, I suppose, isn't it? For the uh, the next instalment of this exciting storyline. Yes. Um, the whole thing with the NWO black and white B team storyline is it's played up on TV as an irrelevance. I mean, we see it in virtually every single segment, but you can tell that uh, Hogan in kayfabe. No, you're, you're the leader, mate. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it really matters. Yeah, you're the leader of the B team. No, you are. You go and tell him. Yes, because it's really, really important. Now, it's played up as being completely irrelevant. And yes, we're in on that joke. But A, don't therefore have one of the matches between these two horrible workers on pay-per-view. And B, don't take up so much TV time with it. Now, we get that it's all about the red and black. We, we understand that. And it's a holdover from really the, I suppose you could call it the second wave of NWO influx in sort of late 96. You know, all sorts of scrubs who had no business being in an elite group just mugging to try to get their two seconds on the camera. Now, here we are getting on for three years on. And now they're making new storylines out of that particular mix and taking up valuable pay-per-view time doing so. But hey, if there is a triple threat match to come between these three titans, then I'll be sure to get you two guys on there to discuss it because I can tell you're all but champing at the bits to do so. Okay, this match took place a little earlier in the card than I was expecting it to, and it's Kevin Nash versus Rey Mysterio Jr. Uh, Rey runs straight into a boot just so we know who was really in charge here. Nashford just throws him through the air, but the ring is at least a safer landing than a trailer. Nash picks him up again, but now Ray gets a bulldog on, but a warp speed spinning a heel kick to send him to the outside. Bobby calls Kev the best big man in all of sports. That's his job safe for a few months. Nash then quells the mutiny by just slinging Mysterio into the rail. Today on commentary, Kevin Nash slows down the pace, <laughs> really, with the framing elbow all the way back to the floor. He jams his boot into Ray's neck for a bit, then hauls him up into a choke inverted atomic drop. Hey, moveset. No sidewalk slam, though, as a boot to the ball sees Ray get an opening. Not such a great big man. Now, neck breaker for a two, but he gets caught from a moonsault. Ref gets tied up in it rather untidily, so Luger trips Ray from the outside. We get the jackknife signal for a pop. Ugh. Then the jackknife itself that didn't look remotely safe. And needless to say, that is enough. Peter, Kevin Nash, insecure much? Yeah, he had to get that win, didn't he, over the, what, two foot four hundred pound <laughs> Rey Mysterio. God bless him. Um, <laughs> I just, the fact that he had to have Luger help him win makes it even more hilarious, if I'm honest. But there we go. Um, yeah, complete waste of, um, of Ray. I guess he is very talented and he can probably get a decent match out of anybody. But I think Kevin Nash maybe is that step too far, potentially, because... Nash clearly, obviously being the pencil as well, wasn't going to let himself lose or look weak against against Rain in any way, shape or form. So I think it was just there just to feed his ego and, and just have someone there just to, to have a quick five-minute match on pay-per-view just to keep himself in, in the mix, I suppose. But uh, Ray's is better than this and uh, goes on to much better things and... and Obviously, we're going to talk about another match later on in the month that's absolutely amazing. So, at least he doesn't get, doesn't suffer for this, uh, this, uh, this loss, and also 
having some sort of interaction with Nash. So that's only a good thing I can think about it. But yeah, I wasn't surprised who was, unless Ray was going to get an absolutely shocking win on pay-per-view over Nash. Um, only one winner here, but uh, it didn't affect Ray, which is great. Dan, office politics played out before us all. And you wonder why the mid-card of WCW has such poor morale just now. Yep. Hey, I'm not going to... This is me and my naive little brain here, but I was so disappointed that this wasn't a more of a showcase for Ray. But I know Kevin Nash was going to win. There was no doubt in my mind. But even then, I'm thinking, well, give... Give this match 10, 12 minutes. Ray can have a really big underdog comeback and look like he's going to upset all the odds and then have Nash overcome the thing and get a clean win because let's that's, that's keep it realistic. But no, it just has to be a seven-minute squash where Nash does a 20-second framing elbow, a boot right off the five, after five seconds. It's just, yeah, it just made Ray look like a dweeb in most of it. And it was a shame. And as you pointed out, Rory, by the end of the match, the crowd also thought that Ray was a dweeb and started cheering Kevin Nash, yeah. which made me sick because Ray Mysterio is one of the guys that you could easily strap a rocket to and put in the upper mid upper card if they really wanted to because he's so goddamn good. But the Booker man's got to gotta make himself look strong. Um, and I still think, I, I'm going to disagree with Pete, I think Ray could have got a good match out of Kevin Nash here if they got time and if Kevin Nash w- was willing to play ball. Which one of those is most likely? I don't know. <laughs> oh, gee, let me see now. Uh, yeah, nobody's shocked by the result, but it was still hope against hope, as I say so often on these shows. I thought maybe, just maybe. I mean, even I didn't even need to be 50-50. It just, Ray was just working like 1990-era Tito Santana in this match. And, now, that's not where he is and not where he should be, as Kevin Nash or not. And Nash has already done this against Ray. He squashed him in two minutes on Nitro back in June 97, I believe it was. Now, here he is again doing it on pay-per-view when he has got the right to do so by being the booker. Now, we know what he thinks of the mid-card guys. We know what he thinks of the cruiserweights. Now, he doesn't need to prove it in this particular way. We know he thinks that nobody comes to see them incorrect. You know, he likes to think that everybody comes to see him. Yeah, but not for the reasons he believes. And I, I think the whole land of the Giants myth, I don't think that applies to a lot of the current fan base these days. It's just Nash trying to cover his own tracks and he knows you know, six moves and wants a hair flip and all that. The framing elbow. God, I hate that move so fucking much. I prefer Stevie Ray's finisher to that move. I just know <laughs> that, 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 that's the level we're talking about on this one. And when he drops in the crotch chop, yeah, other people cooler than you do that a few miles south, mate. Okay. A few miles north, I should say. Just, just you see, I can't even get my compass point correct when I'm talking about Kevin Nash. He just annoys me so, so much. It leads, leads me north to south and back again. I'm not surprised by the result. No, I'm not. I think we all thought Nash was winning here, but it's the way it actually happened. Him making sure that Ray, as you say, looked like just a bit of a chancer, holding the jackknife signal long enough so the crowd cheered, and then just dropping him with that power on from a great type, no recourse or concern for safety or protection whatsoever because he's in charge and he can. And tomorrow Ray can go back to his little jumpy flippy stuff with the other flippy jumpy guys, which nobody really cares about, which of course is not true because we'll be talking about that match a bit later on. So yes, Nash, you don't need to do this. 
But once again, he's loving his position just a little bit too much. And when it comes to the cruiserweights, nobody, but nobody is going to come and fight their corner against him. And we end up with unpleasantness like this. I use that term accordingly because now here's Jerry Flynn on pay-per-view again. Bob Colling will be pleased. Taking on the Cat and Sonny Ono in a handicap, handicap karate style match. A Tony-ism, if ever there was one. Flynn wants this one done early, and he's in good company. He tries to go for both guys, but the Cat puts a stop to that. Ono doesn't want to be tagged in, so Jerry gets a belly to back for two. Cat hides outside, but Flynn is able to find him with a crossbody. We saunter back in, and there's a kick by Miller to just dump Flynn back out again. Sonny gets in a couple of shots in a vain attempt to put some heat behind this thing. Spin kick by Cat, and now it might be safe to tag in Sonny. He tests if Flynn is awake. Okay, I like that. He goes for a cover. Flynn does wake up, though, and Sonny is able to tag out. Whip to the guardrail. That's four for four in matches so far. But Mickey J won't let Cat use a chair. Sonny with a distraction run, and of course Flynn falls for it. But he does then get a clothesline. Roll up inside for a two, and this one is fast running out of reasons to exist. This should at least mean the finish is imminent, and thankfully it is. Flynn whips Cat into Ono, which counts as a tag. So as Sonny falls into the ring, Jerry is able to cover him for a three and the end of the undefeated streak. That one looked a little bit fucked up, but I'm not going to spend too much time worrying about it. Dan, are you? I'm going to treat this match with the charisma of Jerry Flynn and Ernest Miller combined, which is silence. A lot of people cashing in their silence card. We had Eric doing it last month. You're doing it now. Pete, I'm going to make you wait. You're going to have to talk about this one. You have to earn that silence, my friend. <laughs> well, I've usually got a soft spot for a man with a lovely mullet. So, you know, <laughs> me and me and Jerry Flynn are, are on good terms already. Um, I did make a note that uh, Tony said, promoters are looking at Lightning Foot, best uh, nickname ever, here maybe to move into the top five rankings within the next year. He's opened up some eyes of the WCW executive committee. There we go. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> I missed that one. Lightning no, on foot. the back of his um, pants, wherever they what? are. I can't say I was looking all that close. Well, I obviously paused it a few times to hear my <laughs> love of Jerry Flynn. He has so got the nickname. It draws you in and you just take it from there, don't you? Exactly. I just keep. I get more engrossed in it. <laughs> he has got lightning foot now. I've seen Jerry Flynn kick people with these lightning foot. I don't get why he's called lightning foot. So, yeah, this was just oh, shite. I don't know what a lightning foot is, but I'd like to have a week off work with one. There we go. Dad jokes, and that's this match done, I think. Yes, indeed. <laughs> let's, let's, let's very quickly move on from this one, although he did fuck up the finish. and We're not going to give them another chance to defend themselves because we're moving on to the hardcore triangle match between Bam Bam, Hack, oh, fucking Hack, and Raven with his sister, Chastity. See, she gets to keep her ECW name, but Sandman is fucking Hack. He gets attacked first. <laughs> He's happy enough with that, I guess. Bam Bam, though, then gets the upper hand with plenty of shots for both guys. Chastity rolls down a crate of weapons and all very familiar with listeners to this show for the last five years. Although how many of our listeners are familiar with an ironing board is another question. Maybe that's just me. Raven goes for the cans first and sets about both guys' heads with them. Bam Bam shakes him off, though, and breaks an oar over Hack's back. Raven has the mailbox, and he has the bin lid, and Hack has the ironing board and gets the cookie sheet, and you know where this one's going. Bam Bam with the mailbox, just so Mike can say first-class delivery. Sometimes you've got nothing to say, you've just got to listen to the wax. 
as he says, the bump, the board gets bumped in half, and now a portion of the crowd inexplicably start chanting what I think could be the name of a small-time renegade wrestling promotion based in the northeast of the United States. Amazing. They're the only people who mentioned it on this show. Everyone just lies around until Bam Bam nabs a box fan, but then Hack now has a briefcase. First time for everything. Raven with the broom and now with a chair to the back of Bigelow and then the same chair to the back of Raven. You've definitely got the picture now. More cookie sheets and then both guys try to sleep a Bam Bam down. It only earns them a few guffaws from the crowd. The Hakarana, that's my name for it, sends Raven <laughs> to the mat and here's a table. <laughs> Copyright Rory McNamara, 1999. Hack gets set up on it and bam, bam, starts the climb. <laughs> Thanks. Hack rolls off, though, but it is brief respite as he gets double power bombed onto the table. It barely even budges, so bam, 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 splashes him through it. Hack is up again, though, and now has the cane in hand. Chastity protects Raven, but not for long. He then heads to the skip and gets some duct tape. Bam Bam gets some more tables handily placed under the ring just in case. He gets sent into one of them by more combatants. By by more, more combatants, two is enough. And better than even flow to Hack. With the tape, he then ties Hack's hands together. And this sadly means a screed of unprotected chair shots to the head. Stop doing that. Greetings from Asprey Park to Raven, but still no cover. He then sets off a fire extinguisher to send Chastity into the case. But she then pops out to zap him with it. So he falls through a conveniently placed table. Raven goes after Hack again, but then Chastity sets off the extinguisher on him. A quick shot to the balls for good measure, and then Hack, of all people, is able to get the pin. Pete, even I actually missed a few things out of that play-by-play, but um, I think you've all got the gist pretty clearly there. Uh, a fool's count anywhere match that never left the ring. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> and a low blow wins the match. <laughs> hard. hard, hardcore, yeah, hard Ex- shot to the Extreme. <laughs> ECW, ECW. <laughs> um, this, like, I, mean, I, th- I think if you'd, we'd never had ECW in our lives ever before, people would have gone, oh, blimey, this is a bit, you know, there's weapon shots after weapon shot, you know, low blows, tables, there's all sorts in there. But if you put this up against even the sort of substandard ECW kind of walking brawl in that was in the ring, this would be way down your list of uh, that type of, uh, that example of, of this match. But to be fair, they did all put on a bit of a show. They did all try to get lots of stuff, albeit most of it was just, you know, flimsy weapons and crap tables and the usual stuff. Um, but it was fairly entertaining it kept going uh, enough but it was a bit long it was nearly i think about nearly 15 minutes which yeah. was a bit long to stay in the ring for Paul's count anywhere <sighs> i don't know it was just the ecw chant halfway through was not relevant at all was it really that was a bit of a, a piss take from the fans i think who were getting a bit bored but i think if they took five minutes off it it may have been better and um i think chastity hill turn is one of the most shocking things to happen on the night as well so you know there's that development um and that was it really i mean hack i mean the guy why can't he just be called sam man i don't understand why we have to rename him um bam bam bigelow seems to be getting bigger by the day ravens just slipped back into this type of match and where he could be but it was what it was expected is what i thought i'd see so i suppose from that point of view i wasn't that disappointed either I don't think Sandman is trademarked. 
Furthermore, I'm not sure Paul Heyman really cares about trademarks. <laughs> if he did, he might not be you know, rustling around behind the sofa for loose change to put on another show every single week. But uh, there you go. If I'm wrong, do write in, listeners. Dan, what are your thoughts on this one? I think Pete said it best. If ECW didn't exist, this would be really good. But because it does exist, this was pretty naff, in my opinion. Um, I even would prefer the WWF hardcore style to this because at least that moves around. This just stayed in the ring and it just felt cluttered. Like all the the first five minutes of this match, you're just looking around this pile of broken and broken, used up and just slain about weapons. And it's just kind of, it just feels a bit, like, I don't know, haphazard. And, it, and there's, there's good chaos and there's bad chaos. And I thought this was just bad chaos for the vast majority of this match, which felt budget ECW, which is, again, just not something you want to do for hardcore wrestling, especially when you've got a spot in the match where Sandman, sorry, Hack, is taking four unprotected chair shots to the face in a promotion that doesn't really, I don't know, promote the barbarianism of that spot. Like, WWE, can you imagine Jim Ross going passionate commentary about how brain-scrambling chair shots this would be? And Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heaney are just, are just kind of muttering to themselves when, when Hack has taken these shots. Um, but that being said, though, there were a couple of spots in this match I really did enjoy. I thought the comp, the, uh, the chastity coming out of the, of the crate with a fire extinguisher and that makes Bam Bam fall off into the table was hilarious. Um, and I just think Hack in this environment is, is almost perfect. Like his, his hardcore style is is so more defined than Raven and Bam Bam that I do enjoy what he does much more than I thought I would do, considering what he brings to the table normally in worked matches. If I yeah, I must admit I was I didn't wasn't a fan of this, and this was one of the matches I was looking forward to the most going into the show. So yeah, a thumbs down for me. Yeah, it all felt a bit focus group, didn't it? Like, hey, this promotion based in the northeast who hit each other with cool stuff and there's lots of blood and guts and everything. Uh, we can do our version of that. And it just felt a bit like that, didn't it? Just mm. It felt like a bit of a box-ticking exercise. Didn't feel natural or, or organic, which even some of the worst ECW brawls, and God knows we've talked about them on this show, they at least feel authentic, if that's the right word. I'm not sure this really did. It felt like an exec's idea of a hardcore match. And it's not really the fault of the three guys involved. They Sam Man, I just can't help myself, is in his elements. And the other two guys provided good ballast and support for it. It was too long for what it was. I think the crowd, after the definite, um, definitely ironic ECW chant, they sort of lost interest a bit. And I really think of all the things you do in this match, as you say, just a shot to the ball somehow ends it. I mean, that's no different to the Lucha matches ending after 10 minutes of flips with a standing moonsault sort of thing, you know? If they booked the first 14 minutes because it was an exec, as if he was watching hardcore matches in ECW but turned off before the end, you know, work out how to actually finish them, so they had to come up with this really silly one with a pointless chastity heel turn. But A, at least Hack gets a win on pay-per-view. B, at least I've got his name right. And C, I think I've worked out why they call chastity chastity. Although being a G-rated promotion, it might be for slightly different versions than she was called that in ECW. Semantics, everybody. That's why you listen. Right then, let's get some more wrestling reviewed. Tag team title match. Uh, The Horseman 
Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko going against Barry Windham and Kurt Hennig in a Lumberjack match. But Lumberjacks have some strap things. Benoit and Hennig start, or at least they would, because Arn fancies looking in on things. He swaps places as a Lumberjack with Chris Adams. That should even things up, as Kendall Windham is already on the outside. The heels try to run for it, but the Lumberjacks stop them. So now we are going to start. Reverse knife edge has no effect on Benoit whatsoever, but a slap to the face does. He tries to escape again, but again the crew prevent that. Tag to Wyndham. The Wolverine chops the hell out of him. He rolls outside. You've got it. Back in, he takes a pasting in the corner. Malenko in with a leg lariat, but he wants a piece of Hennig as well. Five punches on the buckles. And here's Benoit again. Barry plays heel in peril for a while until that perfect DDT of his. That thing is a work of art. Hennig back, and now it's Benoit's turn to get lumberjacked. Long chin lock, but Benoit battles out with a side suplex. Barry is in, and a lariat gets a two. Standing drop kick, and then a good old slugfest. Kurt returns and gets met with a typically Swiss German suplex. Milanko in with a head of steam, and it's Bonzo Gonzo. They battle over a Hennig plex, but Dean gets his own for a two. Cloverleaf on, but Barry makes the save. He then takes a header, so the lumberjacks do their stuff. Here's then easy meet for Wyndham and Hennig for a good amount of time. Is Milenko. Lariat by Barry for a near fall and then some of his own corner punches. Side suplex, but Milenko tried to fight it all the way, and that's enough to keep both men down. And then there's the hot tag to Benoit. He tears through both men and finds time in doing so for the old noggin knocker. It descends into a brawl outside with just Dean and Kurt in the ring. Hennig sends Arn down with a shot, but it doesn't take long for the enforcer to square things up with the tire iron. Benoit then hits the diving headbutt for about seven eighths of the way across the ring allowing the horsemen to take the win and the titles. Your thoughts, Dan? I thought this was pretty good. Uh, much better than the match last pay-per-view, mainly because it was a lot shorter. Um, Benoit, again, just doing his absolute damnedest to put on a good show where possible. Wyndham looked good. Um, Dean, still not quite where he was maybe two years ago, but I think he's getting there slowly. Um, and yeah, I thought the Lumberjacks, actually, it was a really good didn't feel overblown their usage and it just felt realistic which is a very delicate line to walk with lumberjack matches i've always think that they sometimes are a bit too over eager but the spots of arm coming out you know to even the odds and then getting involved in the finish was really good i thought kind of ties into the whole kurt hennig rivalry that the horsemen have with him and that kind of brings it full circle um and i think i'm right in saying this is benoit's first title reign in WCW. Yes, I think so. Which, when you say it, sounds ludicrous. But actually, I think we might have won a TV title back with the Booker T series last year, but that's not properly relevant, though, is it? Um, no, yeah, it was, but yeah, TV title, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I think <laughs> it's a real good, you know, feel-good moment for him because we gush over him so much on this podcast. And yet, he, he always seems to be the the bride's may never the bride when it comes to belts. And yeah, it feels it feels nice for him to get a bit of a bit of gold. And I think the announcers were saying that too. So I thought this, yeah, I thought this was ex- I thought this was very good. This one will look good on the mantle alongside his wrestler of the year 1998 award from the podcast. Peter. Yeah, totally agree. I think this uh, I think uh, am I right in saying that Benoit and Malenko were a pretty decent tag team back in ECW in was it 95, yep. 96? Yep. And I think their opponents then were a damn sight better than uh, uh, a very ageing uh, Wyndham and uh, Kurt Hennig. So the fact that they could get this kind of match out of those two in the twilight of their career says a lot about particularly Benoit. And 
and Malenko as well. So, no, nothing more to add other than I'm so glad they won the titles. I think it was the right decision on the back of, obviously, last month as well. And looking forward to their their, their reign being uh, quite long and hopefully putting the tag team titles back into a uh, a bit of a, a head spin rather than a tail spin. Because I think last time I was on the show, that it was held by Sting or Lex Luger or the Giant as a single tag team champ. You know, and, the fight, and the belts would have been defended individually. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. So it's nice to have actually a proper tag team champions and a, a faction like the Horsemen have the belts as well. So, yeah, really pleased. Great match. Probably not quite as good as the opener, but definitely the uh, the second best of, of the card without any shadow of a doubt. Uh, yes, it was Bash 98 where we had Sting... Sting against Giant for the tag team titles, wasn't it? Yeah, we were both on that show. Yes, we were. <laughs> That's the one where I compared it to an All Japan match and Mr. Billy Johnson had a few choice words for me about it. Anyway, this particular one, definitely better than last month's. Maybe mainly because Hennig wasn't in it. I don't really want to do that again. I mean, I mentioned that Kurt Hennig might not be all that great these days, really, and earned me a lot of a lot more of opprobrium from people. So I'm not going to mention it quite so often this particular month. I say me and Bob Colling, we were on the fairly critical last month. Here he was, he was kept to a minimum, and he was okay. And we did get to see the Barry Windham DDT. Now it's like watching a falling leaf in the park. You just can't take your eyes off it. It's just so simple. Simple beauty. You know, that's what pro wrestling is all about, is it not? Benoit didn't get particularly um, frustrated in this match, which was good, which he did last month. Malenko was was there. I still think he'd prefer to be doing something else, but hey, he's got himself a tag team title bout out of it, and I'm happy with that. But we must just mention the finish, the diving headbutt. It's near as damn it, right the way across the ring. I mean, when I saw that's what he was going for, I thought, he ain't going to make this, you know, Benoit. He's, he's too far. He's just playing too far. And he somehow managed to do enough to actually hit it and make it a believable finish as well. Came down with quite the thud, but um, hey, he's a cover three count from it. Probably felt it in the morning, but became a tag team champion. And yes, a couple of mini reigns, if that's, they're not even reigns, are they? Mini stints with the TV titles aside, a proper belt for Benoit, which I hope he enjoys. For the two weeks that they had it <laughs> anyway a fine match indeed fine tag team match and yes the lumberjacks did just enough without getting annoying and overbearing so i thought that was quite well played too good stuff here chris jericho versus saturn in a dog collar match the first ever dog collar match as a lot of our commentators call it forgetting one that happened 15 years ago understandable forgetting one that happened six days ago eh, slightly less so saturn is kitted out in what today calls an industrial rock look Mate, just don't bother. He does have green eyes as well, at least. Jericho wants Ralphus to put the collar on for him, but it appears that might not be in his job description. And with a slap, he gets sent, gets sent to the back, and that might be it for Ralphus. Boom. After this, we wait an age to get the match started, including Jericho putting his mouth guard in. The collar is still not in when we do get going with a belly to be- belly to belly, but Saturn hooks it on soon afterwards. Jericho tries to walk off, but I doubt he'll be going too far. Tug of war in the ring and Saturn uses his strength to step into that and hit a clothesline. He then jumps to the floor and pulls Jericho into the buckles by doing so. Strategy. He then wraps it around the neck of Jericho who sells it very well. He tries some mounted punches but gives up after one. That was a bit strange. The Lionheart is pushed onto the ropes and he gets pulled into, yep, you guessed it, the guardrail. At least it wasn't a bloody Irish whip this time. Back in, Chris recovers with a change to the midsection then he pulls on the chain around the ropes some more. 
Crowded silence, absolutely dead silence when he hits a leapfrog crossbody, and this is not a good sign. Powerbomb off the apron into the ring, but the momentum takes CJ down too. Very few people in the crowd seem to care. Saturn with an inside cradle, because this is the match for that, and gets a two. And the same for Come On Baby, which will get a win one day. And yes, I'm still going to mention it. Tripped off the ropes is Jericho, and then he gets thrown around whilst in a Stew Hart stranglehold. Yeah, but his head's still on his shoulders. It's not a proper one. Three from three. <laughs> Dressed to the face. <laughs> Billy's fault. Billy's fault. Sorry, no. Dressed to the face, of all things, and corner punches, but Jericho is able to fight into the lion tamer. But Saturn wraps the chain around his neck as it gets turned over. Jericho then blacks out as a result, and the hold is broken. DVD on the chain, but that doesn't get a three count. I bought that as the finish. He tries a runner off the top rope, but CJ holds on and hits a powerbomb. He misses a splash off the top rope, however, and time for another DVD, and that is enough. Pete, collar matches, strap matches, not particularly high on my list of favourite gimmicks, but I thought they did all right with this one. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the one that was probably 15 years ago. Would that be Piper Valentine? It would right? indeed. Starcade 83. That's right. And you obviously got things like Sting and Vader and these strap matches. Yes. The trouble is, you've got two guys tied together. And that's the biggest issue with the dog collar chain match, isn't it? And also, you probably need a bit of, dare I say, the, the evil, nasty word, blood. Because you, you should really have that in the match. Because the way that you would use the collar and the chain, etc., would be to smash somebody in the face, wouldn't you, really? Or try and hurt them that way. But these two are not really in that kind of feud. It's more about, you know, Saturn wearing his dress and Jericho... I think is going through the motions a little bit at the moment. Obviously, I know there's a bit of talk about his contract uh, upcoming and potentially on the move. So he doesn't seem, you know, as engaged probably as he was maybe a year ago. But for all it was, I quite enjoyed it for for the two of them and the effort they put in. Uh, I love Ralphus. It's a shame he had to go out the back so early. He's he's quite a character. I quite like him. Um, yeah, I've seen much better from Jericho. I think he's lost a bit of the character. The crowd, as you said, just died, literally, stone dead, which for a Jericho match is not that common, is it really? Normally, he will always have something going on or entertaining them in some way, even with a verbal joust to them out there. And you mentioned the come on baby usually gets a little bit of a, a kick out of most people, including yourself, Rory, clearly. Um, yeah, I think it was standard by the by with a dog collar around the neck if I'm honest it's like a nitro match with a dog collar around the neck yeah the Jericho contract situation it seems to change from month to month I swear we just do this just to try to catch us out apparently WCW have actually offered Jericho a new contract now but it now looks as though he simply doesn't want to sign it appears hell bent to go to the WWF WCW are reportedly planning on offering him twice the WWF would offer him, but Jericho is still saying no. Kevin He's Nash also very, very... You gone. Kevin Nash, everybody. Kevin Nash, everybody. As He's Dan said, the mid-cards. Goodbye. <laughs> exactly. Who cares about them? Exactly. Stupid midgets. Also very, very unhappy with the WCW travel schedule. Now, they call the WWF the killer calendar back in the day. World Championship Wrestling is not far behind, and Jericho just not best pleased almost certain to be on his way, which is why I did think it was a bit strange he got a kick out of the DVD onto the chain, but did kick out of the standard one. Maybe that was the creative saying, hey, look, we're being fairly kind to you. 
We're only letting you get pinned after the second finisher, but uh, all to no avail. Dan, your thoughts on Jericho's status, really, and this match too? Uh, yeah, I, I would be a case of WCW probably trying to sign him purely because they don't want the WWF to sign him rather than I agree, actually yeah. trying to give him a push. Yeah, that won't happen. Yeah, yeah, there's no way. Yeah, if I was Chris, I would be in exactly the same position. Um, the bolt has the bolt the bolt left the stadium when they didn't push him in 1998 with the Goldberg stuff, even if he was going to get squashed. So yeah, I have no problem with him leaving. And let's face it, the WWF could do with some more mid card workers. Because, you know, working in the mid-card at the minute is just purely left to X-Park, and that's it. So I'll be all up for him going. And as far as mid-card acts that maybe should get a push, I probably, I saw dollar signs when I saw Saturn's entrance for this match. I must admit, I was absolutely enthralled with that entrance music, the lighting, the eyes, the, the gear. It just screamed money to me. It was just, they were trying to get something going but could never but the clutch was broken they couldn't get out of second gear no matter how hard they tried yeah. and no matter how hard the crowd didn't want this match to happen i don't know what it was going on but they just did not care for this match at all and i can't understand why because they're, they're two over guys they're in a feud that's been going on since the start of the year it's you know they've been hot all night really they've been popping good for you know the horseman and kidman and you know, kevin nash for god's sake so I don't know what it was. This match has never got into gear. Um, and some of the spots look a bit weird. The, the power bomb into the ring, but then Jericho flips over. I don't know if that, that felt like a botch, even though it was Jericho and Saturn, so I'm not quite sure. Um, and yeah, yeah, the whole the end of the finish where Jericho goes for a moonsault, but then Saturn doesn't move out the way quickly enough, so he just lands in the half, half and half, and has to do the spot again. Never, yeah, never got out of second gear this match. So again, I was a little bit disappointed because I've been, I've been, I've been not enthralled by the feud, but I've been, I've been expecting it to culminate into like the big grand match this time around, and it, and it didn't do it. So I was left as a little bit disappointed. So, question for you, Dan. You mentioned Saturn and money. How, how do you? What do you mean by that? How do you see that playing out, sort of moving forward? I think I just thought this was a mid. Like upper mid card look that could really, if they again, this is a big caveat with WCW, but if they booked it correctly, ah <laughs> oh, yes, that could, thing, yeah. yeah, there we go. <laughs> they could do something with that look. I just think it's it's the I don't know the macabre that they don't really have since Raven um, has been depushed, and I just thought I I really liked it. I re just it was honestly just something that was striking and different and. WCW is struggling by being formulaic compared to WWF, which is generally crap, but it's it really can't miss, even if it is car crash. And Saturn's look was one of the few things that made me go and have a second look, which is something that I've not been doing a lot with WCW's, I don't know, characters and wrestlers recently. Yeah, he's he's the uh... Saturn is into this, isn't he? You've got to say he's this whole thing came about pretty much by accident when we had the whole dress thing a couple of months ago. We were all rather surprised that he ended up losing that particular match. But he's he's taken it. He was probably quite happy to wear the dress, said it would make him stand out. And now he's bringing in his industrial rock look, as Mike Tanay calls it. And he might just be getting somewhere with it too. It just is a little bit different. He's not just, you know, 
I think it's enough that we can move him away from associating him now with Perry Saturn from the Eliminators. Now, those days aren't coming back. I mean, you know, we will not be seeing the Eliminators in a big promotion anytime soon anyway. So if we could try to get him inched away from that in the eyes of especially us hardcore fans who know about his past, then I think that's going to stand him in good stead going forward in, in this big company. I thought this was fine for what it was. I'm not a fan of the concept of the match, really. And they just weren't able to go to the places where Valentine and Piper went 15 years ago. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> you would think, given the current climate, it would be, but when you're a G-rated company and it's even mentioning the B word is verboten, what really can you do? They they were both really trying in this match. I think they would have liked the circumstances and the situation to have been a little bit different. They probably would like to have had this match elsewhere. As it was, they both felt a little bit hemmed in by the environment and they didn't quite go to the lengths well, they probably really would have wanted to when they were first planning the match out. But it definitely had its moments. The finish was quite hot. But the silence, and I cannot stress that enough, the silence of the crowd. Now, if I was playing clips in, it would be tumbleweed time right here. That is a major concern when you've got two of your quote-unquote work, work guys going at it in the ring. And you could hear popcorn dropping out. You know, never mind a pin. It was... Worrying, worrying. We want to see work rates. You know, we do. We, we we want everything. We want work rate as well. When you've got two guys here, the feud's, you know, it's in fairly high profile. It's not as if it's just been cooled down, heated up. It's been on TV pretty much every week for the last two or three months, and the crowd were just not bothered. Major worry. And maybe that's another reason why it looks for all the world. By the summer, Chris Jericho will be taking his craft elsewhere. So it's Scott Steiner versus Booker T for the very TV title we called irrelevant 10 minutes ago. More on that in a second. Steiner has something to say to what feels like everybody in the front row. We finally get going with a strong lockup and a break in the corner. Nice arm drag by Booker and switches into a hammerlock. Big shoulders by Steiner, but a leapfrog and dropkick give T the control. So once more, Scott bails. After consultation with Buff, some punches seem to do the trick. Booker, though, with a blocking kick and some mounted punches of his own, and lots of them. Steiner blocks a suplex, but he doesn't block a standing sidekick or inverted atomic drop or clothesline. Steiner rolls out to the floor once more, but Booker walks right into that. Atomic drop, though, hits back again. He goes up for a twisting crossbody, but Buff pulls Booker off to break the counts. He pays with a shot to the guard. I'm not saying that again tonight. Steiner sends Booker into the crowd and jams a chair into him. Bicep kiss clothesline and a choke on the ropes for a counter four. Presslam flattens Booker and the crowd want this one to be over, I think. They have to wait, though, as Booker kicks out of a belly-to-belly. Sidekick hits for Booker, but the second crotches himself on the ropes. Buff chokes him with an electrical cord. Suplex back in by Scott, but he gets axe-kicked. Pancake, and then a very special kip-up by Booker. He goes for the sidekick again and nearly hits the ref. Strange. And then does hit Scott. But then Buff prevents the hangover by just shoving him off. Scott recovers, and now has a chair but Steiner holds Booker up and if you've been watching pro wrestling for a day you will know how that story ends we have a new TV champion Dan Scott Steiner was not very happy with being told he was losing this title and threw a tantrum backstage beforehand but I think it could be because they have bigger plans for Steiner than the TV title but what do you, what do you think of that and your thoughts on the match of how we got there okay so on the match I thought that these two guys could have stolen the show, given how 
upward their trajectories have been in the last 12 months and then didn't quite get there. There was there were some really nice moments in it, but just never again, it didn't get out of third gear, shall we say this for them, because it was better than the last match. And I, I thought that um, sidekick spot with the ref was intentional, but hey-ho, I thought I popped for it. <laughs> so I think it was intentional. It just looked a bit odd. Yeah, no, I, I quite liked it. Um, you know, just uh, swings around about, I yeah, guess. I originally um, thought Mickey J just forgot to sell it, but uh, it wasn't yeah. planned, so there you go. Yeah. Um, and on the Scott Steiner front, I think, yeah, this is another guy who, if they can keep a lid on him, and I mean that in every sense of the word, because... A, he looks like he's about to burst out of his skin whenever he comes out. Two, his his temper backstage is actually dangerous. There are some people who can't actually go near him because they're uh, terrified of letting him off. He could be a star. He really could be. I, I, he's one of the guys I think they could build a heel champion around because he's he can talk, which isn't the same as cutting a promo, but he can talk. He, we know he can wrestle from his days in the Steiners, and he has a look like he's got it all. If he can string it together and keep something, you know, resembling a temper together in the next twelve, in the next nine months. So yeah, if, if this is means that he's going to be the new U.S. title holder with now that Scott Hall's injured, I'm I'm all for that. I think that's a really good move, and it's a good move for Booker because Booker is still probably one of the most upward trajectory baby faces they have. He's got the look, he's got the skills, he's got a, some sort of a crowd connection. Um and yeah, I, I thought this I thought this was okay, bordering on good, but could have been better. And also on the finish, the chair shot is in plain sight of the referee and no DQ. What happened there? Once they, was he just ter- was he just terrified of Scott Steiner that he wasn't gonna even consider ringing the bell, or I don't know. I think that's a very fair explanation. Uh, your thoughts on Scott Steiner's potential upward trajectory, Peter, and the match itself? I think if I was Booker, I'd have been crapping myself once Scott had come out, lobbed the belt up against the ring apron like he didn't give a shit about it, and got in the ring clearly in an absolutely foul mood. Because having watched a bit of Rick Steiner this month, you wouldn't mess with these two guys right now. And if you did piss them off in the ring or a move got slightly botched or you did catch him the wrong way, you can see Scott Steiner being that guy, as Dan said, that would just go completely mental probably, lose it and let you know you know, what's gone wrong and, and put you back in your place. So fair play to Booker T to, for standing up in this match and, and you know, going toe-to-toe with the genetic freak as he is. But I think if he'd have listened backstage maybe, someone might have told him, Scott, you are more than... A television champion you know you could be a world champion let's say that maybe us first then on to world because dan said everything there he's got everything you know he's not a bad promo because he's just got that sort of confident kind of talk about him he looks a million dollars isn't he? he's got that absolutely amazing look now and he can still semi go in the ring okay no he can't scott steiner of the steiner brothers is not quite there anymore but he's still got enough but he has that experience as well, isn't he? So the guy's got everything. He just needs to, I don't know, calm his shit down a bit because eventually it's going to cost him potentially. Or, as Dan's also said, people are going to be that scared to challenge the guy that he'll get whatever he wants. So it's almost like you can imagine Kevin Nash trying to tell Scott Steiner what to do. Maybe even Kevin Nash might back down and go, tell you what, Scott, yeah, have it. Do whatever you want. 
Oh, I would love that. You can, oh. imagine that. can you imagine that little showdown backstage when Nash said, uh, no, sorry, that's not happening. And Scott goes, excuse me? <laughs> One I little get, stare. You know, I get Ooh, hello, maybe not. I want, I want backstage showdown Scott Steiner versus Kevin Nash and pay-per-view. Perfect. Yeah. But, it, but it's that kind of thing that could cost him, but at the same time could also make him uh, something really, really big. So it's something to look out for. I think you're right. The US title maybe is the next step for him now that's been vacated. But who's to say a world title in the future is not against the realms of possibility? Booker T, great all-rounder, a great guy to have in any match, really, in any you know television champion, US title. Again, for him in the future, he may have a, a world title run down the line. Not probably you know this year, maybe, but because there's too many people in the bloody way at the moment. But you can imagine a Scott Steiner-Goldberg match would be something to behold. You know, Jesus, that'd be three minutes of uh, an absolute chaos. But I quite like Scott Steiner because he's different. You mentioned about Perry Saturn. You know, Scott Steiner is he's just so different to look at. He's got those huge arms. He's got the body. He's got that confidence. And he's a bit of a nutcase, which I think, you know, will serve him well. You know, and the match was pretty decent. It was pretty good. Um and I think there's more to come from both of these. None of them were harmed, you know, by losing either way, which was great as well. Scott Steiner squaring up to Kevin Nash backstage. Oh, how sweet it is to coin a phrase. Uh, I'll be taking that one with me all the way to next month and probably beyond. Go on, stir him up. Go on, go on, Kev. Go on, just to dig him in the ribs. Come on, see how he reacts. <laughs> Let me tell you how he reacts because on a thunder taping at the beginning of this month, somebody in the crowd, I don't know, again, where do people get these ideas from? They had the nerve to chant the word steroids at Scott Steiner. <laughs> playing some sort of game of random word association. I don't know. Apparently, Scott was not best pleased with this and tried to take off after the guy. I can't for the life of me think why. Yes, he does need to keep his temper in check or maybe take a few things that might help keep his temper in check because he could go places. The day after this, they did the big switch, got rid of Buff out of the way, who was clearly holding Steiner back. And he was just playing a court jester role and it went on a bit too long. They finally decided it needs to go. He's just a bland baby face now. But I think this is a positive move for Steiner and he needs to be told that. Now, he doesn't need to be dick around with the TV title. So he's got the look, he's got the mic work and he's still capable enough to be able to carry himself in the ring. And in 1999, those three things and pretty much those three things in that order, really, that's... That's main event level. You're 80% of the way there at least. I think he's got it. And I think people are realizing that now. Booker's not quite at that level yet. I think him holding the TV belt. Now, a bit of a holding pattern again. He was there this time last year, but he's working his way back up. Had a long injury, of course, about six or seven months. Capable worker. He's somebody who can, I think, elevate the TV title for a while. And make people like us think that it can be seen fairly important on the totem pole. Be a good match. I just thought the story of it was a bit off, though. They tried to play it off as Booker getting in Scott's head. That didn't really work because Scott beat Booker clean on the Nitro before this. So they were filling in a bit few too many. They were creating gaps to fill in there, and I didn't really like it. And again, just didn't quite rock free at times this match. But it was more than just there. A solid result. Gets Buff out of the way. Scott can move up. Booker's got something tangible to sink his teeth into two or three months now. And I don't think there was any real harm done apart from maybe a few walls backstage. So, here we go. 
Ric Flair versus Hollywood Hogan in a main event on a World Championship Wrestling pay-per-view. The more things change. A steel cage match with barbed wire. It's got a retirement stipulation on it because it's a Ric Flair match. And it is a first blood match. Okay, got that? A first blood match. Nature Boy takes the mic when he gets in the ring and he tells referee Charles Robinson not to stop the match for a scratch on the elbow, etc. But he needs to use his own discretion. His own discretion. He actually has a pop at somebody in the crowd too, which is interesting. Funny moments where Heenan compares this match to the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Then Tony hurriedly moves him on, lest anybody make another connection. So let's roll then. Ric Flair, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Hogan with the first shove down and the second and the third. Well, that takes up 60 seconds. Noticeable, not to mention worrying, Hogan chant goes up as Flair goes for the thumb to the eye. Hmm. Chops in the corner. That one surprised you, as I'm sure did Flair falling victim to Hogan's punches. Scoop slam, elbow, and then the choke that we've become far too accustomed to since August 96. Some chops get no sold, so Hogan hits some of his own, and of course, Rick does sell those. Corner clothesline and an overly hammy Flair flop. Hogan goes for the figure of four, and much to my regret, I can't really find fault with his execution of it. I tried. He then rams Flair headfirst into the cage, and now his turn for some punches in the corner and a bite. Rick with the, oh God, we haven't heard for a while, plus a shot of his ass. Flair clearly has a cut on his head at this point, but the match goes on. Hogan pulls down some of the barbed wire and works the cut. The weightlifting belt of eternal damnation gets brought into play. <laughs> Flair is now a bloody mess, but we don't get the mercy of the bell yet. Even bigger Hogan chant. The big foot, as Tony and Tony alone calls it, and the leg drop, but of course, pinfalls don't count pinfalls don't count hogan tells the ref to check the cuts but the match still isn't being stopped flair with knucks to put hogan down and then hulk gets sent to the cage too david and his squeeze come out to observe and daddy isn't too pleased with their appearance rick tells david he will be a 14-time world champ and why do i think he actually talks to, like that to his son at the breakfast table hogan bleeding now too and um, hold on we are getting the hulk up Ah, Dan, we've missed all that, haven't we? You can answer that shortly. He goes for the pin after the big two moves. The ref counts one, then the pinfall just kind of falls away. Vertical suplex by Flair, but Hogan is straight up. Uh -huh. Shot to the cage for the umpteenth time, and Robinson gets in Hogan's face. Flair shoves Hogan into said ref, and David cheers Hollywood on. Low blow by Flair, then Arn appears and decks David. The lady tries to choke him out, but that ends poorly. He then slips the tire iron to Flair, who uses it, puts Hogan on the in the figure of four, and then a rather quick three count of the shoulders sees the title change and Ric Flair being in charge of the company for life. Okay, Pete, a lot to unpack here. <laughs> One, the match itself. Two, the fact we're seeing this match for the XXXXXX time. And three what looks like, at the very least, the beginnings of a Flair Hogan double turn. So, the match, I've seen worse from these two. I've seen worse from Hogan in main events. Um, we've obviously seen a hell of a lot better from Ric Flair in, in the past. So, I was kind of okay with these two. I thought it'd be a damn sight worse than it was. Um, it was a bit of a... 
nostalgia moment because my first WCW videotape I bought was Capital Combat 90. Ooh. Luger Flair in the cage. Get I, loved, I loved it when Luger rubbed Flair's face in the cage, exactly the same that Hogan did. And Flair then starts to shake his head violently, his blood's just spewing out. It was exactly the same spot. So it's classic Flair blading and classic Flair cage match, which for me was quite, quite nice to see from that point of view. Um, so the match was okay. I'll say that. I'm not going to completely crap on it. But a first blood match when Rick's told the referee, you know, a little cut on the arm. A little... Flair was literally busted wide open. Blood coming down onto his chest, you know, hair basically now red. Hogan's got a big cut going on. Referee carries on. So why make it a first blood match? Why not just have it as a cage barbed wire match? You know, why not just do that? Why did it have to be a first blood match? Now, we might give him a little bit of grief, but I did a little bit of research, as you do. And didn't Austin and Kane do the same thing at this King of the Ring 98. King of the Ring 98, yep. They did exactly the same thing where clearly there was lots of blood present and it was ignored and then, you know, the same thing happened. So we can't obviously treat WCW any differently to that scenario, but it just, I don't know what happened. And then we got, as you say, a figure four leg lock into a quick free count when Hogan had done the atomic leg drop of doom as it's probably would be classed to him now, <laughs> which didn't get the free count because he wouldn't, count it so it's just so confusing but then you've got the fact that flair as you mentioned in your review that the start was clearly coming out playing rick flair the heel you know having a go at the crowd and you know doing his kind of heel antics and then hogan's doing a whole cup and getting cheers from the crowd which we've not been used to for a while now um so the double turn must have been quite confusing to people on the night but at the same time you know different i suppose and flair is becoming that sort of maniacal president who's the power's gone to his head and he wants to be the champion so it fits flair because flair as we know is a couple of a uh, couple of shillings short most of the time it suits him quite well but hogan is a kind of guy who's is a cool heel maybe he wants to be that role he doesn't want to be um a complete you know, yellow yellow shorts face again he wants to be i'm cool hollywood hogan I could still be a bit of a nasty guy, but I want to hear some cheers now. So let's change things up. And that's what happened, I think. But I don't know, it's probably one of Hogan's better main event performances. Now, that isn't saying a great deal, I know, but that is also saying something for me. So it wasn't a complete washout. I've said a damn sight worse than it. But it just all was a bit confusing. And the finish was just ridiculous when they're both absolutely covered in blood. And you get a quick three count from a figure four leg lock. WCW, everybody. WCW, everybody. Dan, as our resident Hulkamaniac, I'm sure you're going to relish talking <laughs> about this one. Brother. Oh, God, no. Don't make me do it. Sign. You've already cashed, you know, one silence per show. Yeah, yes, yeah, I'm afraid, you know, you, you oh, played your joker far too early. I wasted it on Jerry fucking Flynn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's get this. I like to go on record. This hurts every fiber of my being to praise anything this man does. But, <laughs> but this match actually wasn't too bad. Um, like you know, in Flair, in the promo announcing this match, he said, "I'm invoking the spirit of '85." Woo! So I went back and watched um, Magnum against Blanchard as part of my ongoing historical wrestling education. 
precursor to this, you know, bloodbath that was about to ensue. And unfortunately, we didn't get anything close to that match, but we still got something that was more entertaining. I will say that. Flair and Hogan, I think, in this environment, probably got the best match they could out of it, which, again, hurts to say that, but I have to be honest with myself. I don't have a problem with the initial blood, first blood match stipulation being ignored by the ref, because that goes against, that goes with the story they're trying to tell. But what I don't understand was why didn't Hogan just wait for to bleed with the tire iron shots? Then it would work better because then you can go, clearly the referee is using his discretion and basically siding with Ric Flair to save his job, which is what the storyline is. And if this is a double turn and Ric Flair's becoming the egomaniac heel, again, I don't have that much of a problem with it if that's the direction they want to go in. But it just doesn't... This is the problem with WCW. Is that this, the whole storyline for three months has been the NWO have stolen Ric Flair's son. They've made life for him a living hell. They beat him up with a helicopter. You know, they beat him up with a helicopter. Um, <laughs> and yet we're now meant to cheer Hulk Hogan. Why? How? How are we meant to like this man? And how are we meant to hate Ric Flair? Because the whole storyline has been building up to him getting his revenge and, and overcoming the odds in this barbaric structure. And yet we're meant to boo him now just because he, he shouts at one of the crowd members. And there's a crooked referee working for him, which, you know, if it played right, I think we could be all. Oh, the NWO have been screwing over everyone for two and a half years. They did the whole finger poke of doom, which is still being, you know, reverberating around the wrestling industry. It's about time someone outsmarted them and did one up on them. So that could have been played. That could always ultimate baby face at the dirtiest player in the game got one over the NWO and became a massive face. But Ric Flair, being Ric Flair, wants to be a heel, so we have to go with that. And it's a damn shame because, again, if this is executed a little bit better, delay it a couple of weeks, and we could have had a really satisfying payoff here. But but no, we have to have a weird quasi-double turn that is going to make people cheer for that bald bastard, and that's not right. <laughs> you were doing so well, Dan. So so well. You know, I, I could I could feel the gritting of the teeth, but you just let it slip there right at the end. Uh poor man, poor poor man. <laughs> okay, all right, okay. You, you got a chance to whimper in the corner in about twenty minutes when we're done. Okay, right. This was all right, actually, wasn't it? This was all right. Yes. Okay. I'll talk about feel the pain. It was all right. They were helped by the fact you had the cage environment with no doors. They didn't do a whole lot in there, but this kind of match, if you're going to throw somebody into cage five or six, seven times, it might not be the most interesting of things to watch, but you can believe it. You can buy into it. Yeah, it's a cage match. You're trying to open up the guy. As you say, there have been some classic cage matches in the past in all promotions, which have been based on that very premise. So I accepted it here. And both guys, in as much as two, well, Flair is 50 now and Hogan might as well be 500, threw themselves into it in as much as that expression makes any sense with these two guys. And I will give them grudging credit for doing so. Now, the blood situation. First off, it was clearly a storyline thing. 
that Flair was bleeding and the ref wasn't stopping the match. Now, that was clearly a storyline-related thing, okay? But it got to the stage when Flair was, as as he just can't help himself, he wears the crimson mask, as he has done so often over the last 20 years or whatever, and we've come to love him for it. It got a bit ridiculous. Now, they should have tried to cover it up where Flair's got a cut. It's noticeable, but he's not caked in the fucking stuff. I think that would have made the story a little bit tighter. I was struggling to believe that even having been supposedly paid off, that Charles Robinson wouldn't stop the match there. Now, whether or not Flair's the owner of the company, it didn't quite sit easily with me as a believable storyline. It was a bit too much that a referee wouldn't think that. Now, after all, the referee's decision is final and all of that. But okay, Meanders around for a little while, just about passing muster until we get to all the shenanigans, which we were all expecting. We all knew David was appearing. Arn, who's respected veteran face at the moment, wasn't sure I was expecting him to turn up, however. That was a little bit of a surprise. I wonder where he's going to go over the next few weeks and months. He helped flare out here. Of course he did. And regardless of the storyline thing and the fact that they never mentioned the B word on the, on the shows thanks to their friends up on high. It's still a first blood match. You still could have just had it end by the referee checking Hogan after that shot, the tire iron shot. Yep, he's bleeding, that'll do, end the match. Then I could do it. But having a pinfall, regardless of a figure, I hate the figure of four pinfall anyway, but having any kind of pinfall, I think they were trying to push the crooked ref button too hard on that one, that he's not even sticking to the match stipulation. He's that much in Flair's pocket. Again, just a bit too much. We don't need all that explained to us. We're we're not all... (laughs) I'm sure I speak for all of our listeners when I say we've all got a few brain cells rattling around between us. We probably could have worked out that Charles Robinson's a crooked ref without him breaking the rules. You know, didn't need it to be hit over the head with it like it was a tire iron. So Flair becomes a 14-time world champion, as he is all too keen to remind us both here and the next few weeks. And then we've got what does indeed look like a double turn. Hogan first. He hasn't gone back to the red and yellow, thank goodness. I think that would be a huge mistake. It would get a one-off nostalgia pop wherever he is, and then that would be it. The whole point is that the yellow and red pun intended, doesn't cut the mustard anymore with today's fan base. And I think so, it would prove. If he wants to be a <coughs> little stick in the throat, an edgy, cool baby face as we move into the millennium. Oh my God, did I really just say that out loud? <laughs> then let's give that a try. Keep going, mate. Keep going. For the love Keep of God, man. You, you did it, so I've got to. You know, It would be unfair of me to let you sink without trying to rescue you and we can both drown together. <laughs> so do away with the prayers and the vitamins and let's see what black and white Hogan as a face could do. Flair, on the other hand, at least at this point in time, I have more problems with. Okay, he wanted to turn because he wasn't happy with David turning on him, thought it made him look a bit dumb. We say on these shows before that Flair is far too generous and here he stood up for himself backstage. Okay, I accept that. But I think he's made a mistake. Go back to 93-94. That fantastic angle which came by, again, pretty much out of nowhere after Sid split. (laughs) Split on Anderson's body open. Where he's in the car on the way to the arena with Mean Gene thinking this might very well be his last ever dance. He's got to face the monster vader no one gives him a prayer somehow he sneaks out of victory fantastic moment all conquering baby face 
six months later, because Hogan's coming in, he does a quickie heel turn, and it's all forgotten. And it's a similar thing here. When Flair beat Bischoff on the Nitro after Starcade, it was treated as a watershed moment for the company. I think that's how I described it at the time. A, a top five moment. You know, everything that's gone before is over. The, the king is dead. Long live the king. Now, they even had people like Tony in the ring celebrating with him. And he's played a face brilliantly. He's had his fun. He's soaked in the cheers. And now just because he fancies being a heel again, he can be. And is going to get rid of all of those three months of legitimate goodwill. And of course, some people will say, and it's a very valid point, that in WCW, Flair doesn't really get booed when he's playing a heel anyway. I accept that. He's Ric Flair. Fair enough. But the storyline is still the storyline. It would still, by the looks of it, still be calling him for him to be the person the fans don't like. And I'm just not a fan that you're going to do away with not just any babyface run, but one which supposedly in kayfabe saved the fucking company. And now because he fancies doing the flare flop and getting booed again and being thrown off the top rope when he goes for the press, it's going to happen. So I still don't think he's actually completed the turn yet. But when we roll through the TVs, we'll say that it's getting very, very close. But Ric Flair, 14-time world champion, is how we close Uncensored 99. Dan, sum up your thoughts on this pay-per-view and give us an overall score raising out of 10, please. There are moments in this pay-per-view where I got glimpses of stars that I think could make WCW great again. Or at least give Raw a challenge that they just aren't doing right now. If the always caveat is if they can book them correctly and with the man in charge right now and the attitudes that he's clearly set in stone with, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, which is frustrating, obviously. What the show gave us on the night itself was the epitome of okay. Nothing got out of you know, like excellent guard way to see match level, but there were plenty on the card that I was glad I watched. So I'm going to give it a five and a half. What do you reckon, Peter? Wow, that's a high mark from you, Dan. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> more, than, more than a two, certainly. I know. Yeah, definitely more I than know. a two. Um, well, yeah. in fairness, about five of that is because Hulk Hogan lost. <laughs> yeah, fair yeah, point, that's, fair there point. we go. That's, that's it. But the turn is done. There we go. I think hopes were high after the um, shipwreck match at the start, definitely. We definitely yeah. had high hopes to begin. And I think the tag team title match was very good. Um, the rest of it was just... It was just fair, wasn't it? It was kind of just that kind of show where nothing really turned you away too much. You know, me being a massive Joey Flynn fan obviously helps me there a little bit because that was probably one of the worst of the night, but even so. Um, I will give this a five, which I'm quite stunned on below you, Dan, but there we go. And the main event actually, as we've all said, was okay. Shocker. So I'll give it a five. I'm with you on a five, I think, Pete slightly less enthusiastic going through match by match. It must be said, I'd completely forgotten. I know you're not going to like me for saying this. The Jerry Flynn match was even on the card and it wasn't one I was too keen to be reminded on. And you had the horrors of the Harlem street fight as well. And the over confusion of the main event, but still lots to enjoy here. A fine opener, a good tag team title match, a possible in a semi main event somebody handing over a belt to move on to greater things. This show could, we'll find out over the next months and years, end up being fairly historically important. In its own right, as a watch, you're going to be satisfied, I would say. So bang in the middle, five out of ten. 
over some of the horror shows we've had over the last couple of months. In all promotions, I will definitely take that. Right, so we have three TVs to take you through before we close out for the month. I'm going to rattle through these ones fairly quickly because we've got two big things to discuss. 15th of March, 1999 will include one of them. We start out of the pay-per-view with Mrs. Robinson following David Flair into a hotel. Nash and Sam, I think that's her name, Tori Wilson's her real name, listen in during these soirees through the day. Sam is very possibly falling in love with David. Nash finds that pretty icky, and this is the first time I have agreed with Kevin Nash during the course of this show. Meng grips his way to victory against Jerry Flynn. Sorry, Peter. We get some beach brawl footage of one from one Kid Rock in attendance. Thankfully, Chris Lacey isn't on this show. Otherwise, this one would be getting an explicit rating, I think. And speaking of MTV, Raven is at the latest Nitro party. Ricky Rackman gets about as much out of him as he did Kurt Cobain on Headbangers Ball in 1991. Rick Steiner bulldogs Chris Adams for a win. Disco storms to the booth and name checks the format sheet. He wants it changed, but to no avail. Gene brings out the 14-time world champion. He wants to question Charles Robinson over yesterday. He deemed Flair wounds to be superficial, but Hogan was a badly beaten man, so he did what any referee would do. Goldberg then interrupts. He keeps it simple. He wants a title match, so obviously Nash sprints down to stop that. He is the number one contender. How odd. And then here's Hogan. Amusing line here. How did you get those women with your American Express card? After more joshing and Bill actually shoving Rick down, we have ourselves a tag team match later. And here is what we're going to discuss on this particular edition of Nitro. I haven't got a play-by-play for you. It would be pretty pointless, really. There was so much going on. Because, Dan, you wanted to discuss this, and now you have your chance. Ray regaining a little of the lost goodwill from yesterday by beating Kidman for the Cruiserweight title in a scorcher of a match. He got the Duke with a mind-bending bulldog come faceplant off the top rope. And we had our babyface handshake at the end. Dan... This is what Ray should be doing. It's what he does better than most. And we, particularly after the internal politics made flesh we saw on the pay-per-view, this was so much more like it in every way. Oh, sweet cruiserweight wrestling neck to just hook it to my veins. (laughs) So good. So bloody good. I mean, the reason why we're not talking about this in match of the year context is because it was only seven minutes long. And I think these two guys packed more stuff in seven minutes than most people can do in 20. Yep. Stunning. Like the wrestling is so perfectly executed. Like Kidman's power bombs, his face plants and the dives, Rey Mysterio's Hurricanes and dives off the top rope. And then that bulldog off the top rope. I know you said it, but it is gorgeous. It's just, it's one of those moves that it's not as finishing move, but it's, it's done so well that you instantly buy it as a finish. And that is like, one of the best compliments I can give to a a finish that comes out of nowhere. And the crowd were molten for it. I, I need to stress this as well, that they were hanging on every single move these two guys made. And as you said, Ray has dallied with up a move up the card, but it didn't work out. But me being selfish, me being the work rate man that I am, seeing him with guys who can go back in the ring and a guy who wants to work with him in Kidman and being able to execute something that this that was this good is just it brings an amazingly large smile to my face it was so amazing if you can go back and watch the replay of this match do it it is so good and it you know, uh, 
Right. Lacey, Eric, mm -hmm. come on. If you're thinking that LVD Jerry Lynn is a, is better than this, then I have some words for you to say because these two guys, you know, if these two guys got 15 minutes, I would put this match ahead of those of RVD Jerry Lynn any day of the week. And that makes two of us. Although they had three on their show, so let's see what Pete Kimber thinks. Can he help us out? Shots fired there, you two. I like it. Um, We're cruiserweight boys representing, man. <laughs> I'm more of a heavyweight myself. Um, <laughs> I can imagine these two out the back classically just saying, right, we've got seven, eight minutes. Let's go and do this. Let's go and make this work. Let's just give it everything we've got. And you can see at the end when, obviously, they did have the, the hug to say, look, well done, great. We, we did it, basically. It was a great thing to see. And it just goes to show when two guys are willing to work together for our benefit and for the better good. Wow, what a, what a performance. I think in Kidman and Mysterio, I can't think that they've put a foot wrong on television for a long time. And given the moves these two guys are doing, that is a massive credit to both of them because so easy they could they could botch a move, they could slip off that rope when they're doing the doing the off the top rope or a dive could slightly go wrong or miss a miss a trick here and there. But these two are just absolutely on the money. And credit to Rey Mysterio, having been basically destroyed backstage by a Nash and also in the ring a little bit, to come back and then produce this and get the title. Um, I think was, was was credit to him and, and credit to Kidman as well. And also, obviously going to go through it a bit, Rory, we also have some, uh, they also form a tag team as well, don't they, at the end of the of the month, which is even better to see. So it's like all the gold is starting to come around the cruiserweights at the moment. So maybe uh, the tide is turning or Nash fell asleep during the, uh, the pre-show. <laughs> who's, who's to say? Um I've not listened to the ECW show yet. I do know about the RVD Jerry Lynn matches, so I'm not going to get involved in your um, Titanic squabble that's going to, going to take place. I think the end of year review. Well, yeah, show wait, wait for that. Yeah, will will be an absolute must listen, and I hope to be either on it or at least um, well, as soon as it arrives in my uh, podcast library, I'll be the first person to listen to you guys duke it out over which one of those matches are going to be. Uh, match of the year but I think you're right there Dan if this was potentially 10-15 minutes of just this I think you two would be probably spot on but because RVD Lynn is that slightly longer match potentially may give him the edge but hey I'm not getting involved leave me out <laughs> two things there one Peter check is in the post and two about Nash having a nap he did run down or his version of running in the previous segment to the ring so he's <laughs> This one was quite well-timed. He wouldn't be watching. Yeah, I've Nothing else I need to say, but just you probably missed this one. You, I'm sure you were all watching Raw at the time. So do yourself a favour. Do these two guys a favour. Seek out the tape of this one. Mind-meltingly good stuff for free TV. Like only the brevity can be criticised. And is that the fault of these two? Absolutely not. They brought everything they possibly could Kitchen sink included. Got everything right. Nothing was messed up. Nothing looked hokey. Again, just Ray, every single match, Ray brings something new to the table. Now, he is somebody who could just cruise through matches, pun intended, and he'd still be hitting three and a half stars regularly. But he doesn't. He works like somebody who has got something to prove. And after what we saw on the pay-per-view, he probably does, but he does it. He's the Cruiserweight champ. Kidman puts him over clean 
And yeah, I think that celebration at the end probably felt even more legitimate than it looked. Check this one out. Easy match of the year contender, even only seven minutes on TV. And yes, listen to volume three. And then after 20 minutes, decide we were right. <laughs> as Brian Clough would say. Stevie is the boss and his fist tells Horace so. Horace, of course, calls him a turkey. Burn, burn, burn. After a nondescript interview, Malenko and Benoit do what they're good at and defeat Hugh Morris and Barbarian. Steiner is here with Buff, but there's no sweetness and light anymore. Buff detects a bit of jealousy. Steiner may be Big Papa Pump, but he's not Buff, nor the stuff. Cooler heads appear to prevail, but this is Scott Steiner we're talking about, so he nails Buff with a suplex, chair, and the recliner. Speaking of match of the year, it's Stevie and Horace, everybody. Get your nomination papers ready. Stevie screws up a roll-up at the end. Guys, you had one job. Luger <laughs> nails Conan in the back of the head, meaning the chart buster secures a victory for Disco. Booker and Jericho have a good no-nonsense TV match, but ends in a rather confusing DQ for DQ win for Booker. I don't know what happened there. I don't know if Jericho blew his nose without a tissue or something. I don't know. So is our, here is our main event tag team match with Charles Robinson as the ref. Flair starts. He has no real choice because Goldberg press-slammed him into the ring. But then we get a bit of Goldberg-Hogan too. Regular tags from the NWO mean Flair can't get in, so he makes the tag sound. The referee, of course, allows this. He then goes after Hogan and Hollywood takes us back to 94 with babyface no-selling and hulking up. Leg drop, though, doesn't get a three as Chuck ain't gonna count. Hogan nails him, but eats a spear as we close. So we roll into spin... You could, you could tell we don't celebrate it over here in the UK. Spring break nitro, as I've written down. Spring break, of course. And it opens up my idea of a party, Bull Pain versus Van Hammer, which ends in an Alabama slam. After some nondescript chats with Ray, I'm afraid, and Disco, Ricky Rackman talks to Hardcore Hack, the King of Extreme, who then whacks himself in the head a bit. He was the future once. Lucha eight-man tag time. Tanay doesn't actually know who one of them is. La Cucharacha. He hits chart busters on everybody he can. I think I've just worked out who he is. Flair talks backstage about wanting to challenge the entire company, and they will do it lottery style. This includes the mid-carders, and yes, that's the word he uses. I'm sure they will be happy being reminded of that particular status. Today he talks to Dusty, of all people. He takes a couple of years to ask whether or not Flair is cross with him, along the way dropping the phrase, laying the smack down. Flair is now here with Gene. Raven interrupts quickly. He has six words for us. You know what they are. He does get the world title shot he wants for the tag belts with Canyon versus Benoit and Malenko. Shame Canyon's not here, really. Steiner versus Finley is a fair old scrap. Steiner Bulldog gets it done. Hoovy versus Vampiro. He still looks like John Davis to me. The clown barely even looks trained. What's with you, boy? And get used to those puns for as long as he sticks around. Hoovy Driver wins anyway. Nash and Hogan take over the bikini contest, but it's okay. They're only judging, not participating. Seven girls are out, and of course, the eighth wonder of the world is Sam. I think that's her name. Under duress, Ricky Rackman picks her as the winner. Sable, eat your heart out. Pays to be the boss, eh, Kev? There's very little to, to Goldberg versus Hack. He's just another warm body. Here's Brett. He had zero world title shots since he came here. He picks out the usual names, including Goldberg, who he can beat in five minutes. Remember that. Now it's Horace versus Vincent for control of something or other. At least they get the roll up right this time. Vince wins, but attacks Virgil anyway. Brian Adams is here, and are you going to tell them, or shall I? It's lottery time, and Rick today is going to face number 23, who is our friend Ray. Raven's handicap match of either champs is next. Saturn actually pops in to help. 
and he puts Benoit in the rings, and that counts as a title change? Ah, oh, no, it doesn't. Randy Anderson has DQ'd them. Tony has to tell us the official word from Dave Penzer because we can't hear Dave Penzer give us the official word. WCW. We see footage from Thunder where Flair strips Hall of the US title. So in true WCW fashion, we're going to get another bloody tournament. Ah, WCW, when will you change? And in said tourney, here is Scott versus Jericho with Steiner winning clean as a whistle with the recliner. Buffer is here for Flair versus Ray, who he calls the master of the Latino Frankensteiner. There are so many kinds. Flair looks very uncomfortable taking Ray's offense. Ray hits the aforementioned off the top rope, but Arn pulls out the ref before the three, and you know who the ref was. Flair gets dumped into the drink afterwards. So we finish up in Toronto. Sorry, Toronto. Get it right. On the 29th. David Flair and Samantha are by the fireplace. David has a real father now in Hulk. Given his acting skills, maybe there's something to that. Huge We Want Brett chant as we kick off. Conan calls out Disco but gets Vincent. Is that an upgrade or a downgrade? He wins with the sunrise anyway. Here's Hogan and Dan. They love him here. Where is his stinking belt at? He milks the reaction. DDP sits down with Tanae. Kim is fine, but he has had paralysis in his legs recently. That said, though, he doesn't want anybody to make excuses for him. As for the 30-day stipulation, it's all very stupid and there was no chance it was ever going to happen. Page even shuts down People's Champion talk, and I'm not sure I like where this might be going. Nor does Page himself. Everybody wants him to turn heel. Nash, Flair, most of the other wrestlers, anybody else in creative, Page himself fought tooth and nail against it, and I am with him. He is the natural people's champion. The guy is a babyface. This iteration of him is unbooable. You want to be this guy. We said before, he is us out there. He is me and you. Don't just turn him into what looks like a rather generic heel just because turning is all the rage at the moment. Might not happen, but it looks that way. And I think that is a bad, bad move. Roth does his stuff against Chaos and wins with the meltdown. Sam brings up when Hogan beat Nash and it was real. Oh, it sure was. Here comes nature. Now he's getting the booze. Coming to Canada is not a good decision because I don't like being here. <laughs> That's that then. And now he brings out Paige. They make vague allusions to Flair not pushing him back in 94, and then he rips on the crowd too. See what I mean? Paige is facing Hogan tonight with Rick as his manager. And then in the rafters, Sting is back in the crow face paint. That's all we see of him during the night though. Sting is sticking around. We'll talk more about that on the show next month. Rick beats Norton with the Steiner Bulldog. Chris Adams goes for the TV title versus Booker. Missile dropkick retains the belt. Jericho is here and he is 100% Canadian, but now he lives in the US and he is glad because Canada sucks. He beats Jerry Flynn with the flare pin. Brett is here and he is 100% Canadian, but now he lives in the US and he is... No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> now that really would have been something wouldn't it we will get to that in a sec buff is the stuff and his music is sure some kind of stuff he faces norman that's norman smiley and wins with the blockbuster the horsemen go against ray and a reluctant kidman but after another damn great match they become the new champs albeit with the help of an even flow from raven who now has saturn sort of aligned with him again what Buffer calls the specially designated Clash of Titans match between Hogan and DDP includes a brawl around the commentary area and destruction of the WCW signs. A uh, reason behind that is next month in Las Vegas, Nevada will be the first Nitro 
April 99. Changes afoot, apparently new video packages, new intros, new sets, and most worryingly of all, a DJ on stage. The boys will tell you about that one next month too. In the ring, Mickey J gets bumped, so here comes Flair with a chair as endorsed by Robinson, but hits Paige weekly. Hogan then sees to him and leg drops DDP, but there's still no count. So he decks Charles. Mickey comes in and Hogan gets the win. So one more thing to talk about. We're going to jump back a few minutes to Bret Hart here in Toronto. He says that he is very happy to see some kids in the audience, taking us all the way back to the G-ratedness we have these days. He recites O Canada. Thankfully, he doesn't try and sing it. He name-checks Flair to booze, Hogan to a mixed reaction, which become booze. And now it is William Goldberg's turn, the big chicken. He can take him on right here tonight in Toronto. He puts up all this money to face Steve Austin. Well, I beat Steve Austin every time I faced him. Well, almost. I should say Goldberg uh, has actually been saying on a couple of chat shows in the States that he wants to face Steve Austin. Apparently, he was put up to it. It's never going to happen. We need not detain ourselves with that still further. Anyway, Brett wants Goldberg. The fans want it too. He puts on the Maple Leafs jersey as if he needs any more cheers here tonight. And now it is fight time. So they square off for a couple of seconds and then Goldberg dives right in and he hits the spear. Both men are down for a fair few seconds. Down and out. Brett comes to first. And he rolls over, pins Goldberg to the mat, counts his own pinfall, because, you know, Bret Hart respects the honour system. And that's a three count. The crowd are cheering this, but they're still a little bit confused. Brett then stands up, takes off the jersey, and what's he wearing but a metal plate? Ah. He then... Picks up the house mic and tells Bischoff, WCW, anybody else will listen, that he quits to tumultuous cheers. Pete, it's taken us 15 months, but we have seen something with Bret Hart in World Championship Wrestling, which can actually be qualified, classified, anything else-fied as good. Absolutely. I mean, I've, we've sat here many times and talking about Bret Hart as just an absolute waste of two and a half million dollars a year, whatever he's on, isn't it, for the for his contract? 2.8, I believe, is the exact 2. figure. 2.8, so even, even more. And he is right in a sense that he has been there that long and not had the push. He is a whiny, miserable bugger, though, isn't he, most <laughs> of the time? And there's lots of Bret Hart fans on this show and obviously listeners as well. But Hi. to listen to him bitch and moan the way he does, I'm not surprised he gets nowhere. But... He is Bret Hart. He is, you know, the best there is, the best there was, yada, yada, yada. He is, you know, an icon. He is a great wrestler. He is Bret Hart. So we were always surprised that they've done nothing with the guy. Now, potentially it's because obviously he's come from the Federation, obviously Hogan and I guess Nash and Flair and Bischoff, although they've prized him away, probably just to piss everybody off and Vince decided to do what he did. Um, this was probably, as you say, one of the first times we've actually seen Brett do something, and actually ingenious, because nobody else has thought of this with uh, Goldberg before, that, you know, the spear is the preemptor to the jackhammer. And when I first watched it, I was like, right, 
what's happened? First of all, Goldberg's face down trying to sell this really, really well. Brett's lying there doing the same. What's happening? You know, this, has this gone wrong? As I mean, the commentator's saying perhaps he's caught an elbow or he's caught something wrong and knocked himself out. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, the crowd are sort of just starting to stir a little bit. And Brett does a little shake of the head, doesn't he? He's like, oh, yeah, I can go now. Off I go, pin him. And then uncovers this wonderful chest plate sort of would make D'Lo Brown probably be quite quite proud of himself in that sense and uh, it was it was a great thing to do what I didn't get then was to say that he quits that then threw me I thought actually he's taken down the one of the biggest baby faces the biggest guys in the company on Nitro in a big match in Canada where the crowd all night have cheered for him and only him all night and then he turns around and goes I quit I was a bit like, okay, so what, what does this mean? So I guess that, that's hooked me in for next week's edition of Nitro and then the month of April. So I guess for me, that's a good thing, I suppose. That's what this should do, shouldn't it? It's, it's a storyline that I'm now interested in and I'm interested in Bret Hart again after you said 18 months of pretty much nothing. So yeah, I win all round and... Uh, Let's see what happens next. Goldberg will clearly have to respond, you would imagine. Um, I don't fancy Brett's chances, though, with um, the the powers that be backstage right now, Flair, Hogan, Nash, Bischoff, still. But at least he's making his point loud and clear and backed up with a, a quite an ingenious and clever tactic. So, uh, yeah, good stuff from Brett and uh, a welcome return to some form. Okay, now you can give Dan back his script about being Brett being a whiny bitch, and now Dan can go through it himself. <laughs> over, over to you, Dan. When, when have we said that? <laughs> um, I was just going to say, leave it to Bret Hart to be to bring sensible and realism back to WCW. Ah, uh, there we go. There we go. You you can stay after all. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what what did you think of this segment? I thought it was excellent. Um, it's one of the few segments and on Nitro that I can remember, which has instantly made me want to see two wrestlers have a match in a, you know, big fight feel sort of way, um, which is something that they don't really do a lot. Really, it's just kind of the same talking and talking and talking segments that you get. Um, but the problem I've got with it is that, as Pete said, it's it's a brilliant segment, and yet we're not going to have the payoff to it. Not, not even instantly, like, you know, next month's pay-per-view, but, you know, May-June time, because it looks like, from what I recall, Brett's injured, I believe. Got yes, a bit of a, uh, yeah. a groin injury. Groin injury, yeah. So he's going to be out for a couple of months. So, you know, we've got to let this boil for, you know, up until July time, at the very least, until these two guys can have a match together. And then, again, I'm going to use the thing, WCW's booking team can't, go that far ahead because there's too many creative controls cards to play but we know goldberg would be a heel by that point because rick fair orders him to be so look i would love this i love the segment i thought it was excellent i thought brett in canada is always gold but i've been worn down too much to be excited about it and that's a damn shame because it's a bad precedent for this company to do whenever when they do create gold the fans are too cautious to get behind it. Yeah, as we say, been burnt so often. We just know how it's going to end. No. 
rubbishly because <laughs> it's WCW. So you've just got to take things in the moment and enjoy them while you can. And I'm glad this happened at the end of the month so we can finish the show on a high. Because if this has been in the middle of the month, I'm sure something else would have come along to smack us in the face and bring us hurtling back to reality at a rate of knots. This was a fantastic segment. One thing I really did like as well is that the commentators, I mean, Brett is still being booked as a heel everywhere, but obviously he's always going to be cheated to the fucking rafters in Toronto. Of course he was. And the commentators played him up as, oh yes, a Canadian hero throughout they didn't try to fight against the tide on this one. It would have made them look stupid if they had. So they just rolled with it for the night. And Unlike the production team, who really obviously piped in the Goldberg chants. Yeah, yes, yes, absolutely, very much so. Nobody was cheering Bill Goldberg on no. this particular night. Nobody at all. You're right, actually, yeah, on the, on the, the walk-in, wasn't it? They had the Goldberg. It they were definitely, definitely piped in. Definitely, yeah, you're right, Dan, definitely piped in. You know, it's not as if they've piped in Goldberg chants before or anything. <laughs> it's not as if they're being lampooned for elsewhere or anything like that. We didn't need to do that. It's, it, it's too much. We just see, but WCW, even when they get 95% of the way there, they always have to double back on themselves. But yeah, fantastic segment. Made Brett look smart, made him look intelligent, made him all the things he just doesn't get a chance to be. But I still don't really know who in WCW Bret Hart actually is. And could I go for him being some sort of wily veteran who's been there, seen, been there, seen it, done it, worn the plate under the t-shirt? And yes, I think I can. Now, this okay. Two very, 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 very minor points. If Goldberg was still unbeaten, this might have an even bigger resonance. And two, I didn't like the I quit thing at the end. He's like, yeah, okay. Everybody hates the promotion they work for these days. Yes, it's all anti-authority. Blah blah blah. I mean, the crowd didn't care at the time, and nor did I. But I don't want Brett fights the WCW authorities to be the angle here. I'm already quite tired of that sort of thing elsewhere where it's being done a whole lot better. But those are minor quibbles. Now, giving the crowd what they want, Brett getting a pinfall over Goldberg in five minutes. See? Tie back to the previous Nitro. Now, we say WCW rarely think ahead, and that's absolutely true, but here just for once, they did. Brilliant segment, hometown hero, got to look like a hometown hero, went out on his terms. Goldberg played his part too, it must be said. And it's just a situation where if you let somebody be somebody be what people want them to be, you're going to reap dividends. So well played to everybody involved, even though if we do get some iteration of Brett, I've used iteration a lot today. <laughs> the Thinking Man's Pro Wrestling Podcast. Iteration said twice every two hours. If we do get Brett versus Goldberg in any form next particular month, it's probably going to suck and they're going to screw it up. So let's just enjoy it while we can. Yes, that is the sound for us coming out of the time machine without, with us having no post-production-y stuff. That, gentlemen, is episode number 201 in the books. And I would like to thank you, Pete Kimber, for coming back and giving us your fantastic contributions. You have been missed, sir. Thank you. It's been great to be back. And I had a really good time with you both this evening. And uh, I look forward to many, many more. So appreciate that. And uh, I've been listening all the way along as well. It's a, it's a fantastic show. And, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good record, I would say, this one. I would say so, too. And, Dan, thank you, as always, my fellow. You're welcome, Rory. No problem at all. Quite brilliant. Uh, guys, where can people find you? Should they want any, any more any more information from you on any kind? I'll go first. Uh, I, I'm on Twitter, at pkimber1. Um, I tend to talk about sort of 
football and a bit of life and a bit of stuff like that. And a bit of wrestling as well thrown in. So, yeah, check me out if you want to. And you can find me talking mostly modern day, but also a bit of past wrestling on the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast Patreon page. For $5 extra a month, you get to listen to all of our exclusive bonus content where Rory, myself, the Lacey, Eric will gush, praise, rewatch, re record anything kind of NXT takeover reviews. Match reviews, Royal Rumble reviews. We've got so much stuff, good stuff up on there right now. So if you would like to give back to the show and listen to our thoughts on the modern day product, out of timeline mode, do check us out on the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast page. I'm also on Twitter at Daniel86, but I don't tweet, so don't bother following me. <laughs> he really doesn't either. Yes. If you are on the Patreon, keep your eyes peeled, or your ears peeled, I should say. We've got some WrestleMania-related content coming up over the next week or so, because it is the season. You will hear about it first on our social media pages. We are the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, and we can indeed be found on Facebook, where Chris Lacey will be on uh, the Master of Ceremonies. On Twitter, it is me. So find us on there. Drop us a line. Your thoughts on this show, your thoughts on any show, whether you agree with us, whether you completely disagree with us. We want to hear from you. We want your feedback because let's face it would this show really exist if it was just us screaming into the void well it probably would but that's not the point you are the listeners you are the people who you are the reason we do this for and we would like to thank you i would like to say a very special thank you to everybody who listened to our show for the first time on our february 99 wwf edition the fastest downloaded show we have had since i took charge and that's something i'm very very proud of it was indeed a great show for myself, Chris White, and Eric Landstrom. It set us in good set us in good stead for the WrestleMania show, which I will plug again in a second. We probably needed that. And be sure to tell your friends about the show as well. Tell them about the podcast. Tell them about <clears throat> excuse me. Tell them about the Patreon. But above all, if this is the very first time you have listened, I do implore you to go back into the archives. The best place to do that is via Spotify. Start at the beginning, if you haven't already, all the way back to August 1993, when we were with Mr. Bob Bamba, who, I say, he's not listening to these shows anymore, but he is the reason we are still doing this. It's a year ago I picked up the baton, and I have no intention of dropping it for at least another 20 years, possibly. I think, I think WrestleMania 35 might be a good time for me to sign off, but we'll, we'll worry about that <laughs> when, we, when, when we get there. Finish up with a seven-hour WrestleMania, which, as we tape this, ladies and gentlemen, is still five days away. Uh, what else do I have to mention for you? Yes, a few other fantastic podcasts to check out of the retro wrestling realm. Our Vantage Points, listen to them every Monday. And you can also find me on their Facebook group talking about all things retro wrestling. My friends at Place to Be Nation, their run of shows, they've been going strong for eight years now, still doing the business. You can also catch me on their message board, bigelow34.proboards.com, in which I'm posting my thoughts on randomly selected matches from the nomination list for the top 100 WWE televised matches tv and pay-per-view see what Roy, you think. i think that needs to be a patron special we do eventually down the down the line yep you oh, i was thinking about it we can talk about that one off air oh, yeah. i've been thinking about oh, it has RVD, to be done rvd rvd oh sorry sorry carry on uh well, it's, uh, the rvd good ww we, we can jump ahead up we're out of time now, now rvd matches well maybe the one against Cena at one night stand 06 yeah true yeah that's a great one i'll give you that jeff hardy summer slam 01 Inv uh, invasion I won as well, actually. 
If you drop us five dollars, everybody, we are not reined in by the timeline, so we can have these. We we can throw these discussions out. So if you like this, like these little tasters, then uh, by all means, uh, please drop us the five dollars. But yes, excellent idea, Dan. And I should just say as well, if you still want more WCW particular content, then do listen on the Place to Be Nation feed, the Talking WCW podcast. Uh, as we record this, about a week ago, they released their latest edition, talking about some guy called Ric Flair. Fantastic workers ever there from Tim Capel, Jennifer Smith, and Greg Phillips. And they are friends and listeners to this show too. So hi to you guys. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Just to say thank you to everybody who's stuck with us since the beginning, whether this is your first show, whether this is your 201st. And I want to repeat, you are the reason we do this. All in the name of good fun. There are a lot of pro wrestling podcasts out there, a lot of retro wrestling, pro wrestling podcasts out there, which... Don't really get the balance right. I'd like to think I've mentioned some who do. And yeah, I'm going to include us in that particular selection as well. Good analysis, good banter, good discussion, but above all, a good bit of humour too. And if we can just brighten up your lives, because especially if you're here in the UK, lives need a lot of brightening at this point. And if we can keep doing that for you for six or seven hours every month, then we have done our job. And do please let us know via the social media, or indeed an iTunes review, as Eric would say if he was here, how we are doing at that particular task. So just to recap then, Volume 1, our 200th edition, is our WWF show looking at WrestleMania 15. Volume 3, ECW, Living Dangerously. RBD versus Jerry. <laughs> RBD versus Jerry Lynn. <laughs> it's the second best match of the month. Everybody, be, stay tuned for our April shows. Three more coming your way with a newcomer on our ECW show, so look out for that. So just, just for me, Rory McNamara, Dan Welling, and Pete Kimber, to quote Bob Bamber where it all began five and a half years ago. Until next time, goodbye.